Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. This is Tuesday, August the 11th in the uh, evening, and feels like it's been forever since we, we've had a show. I took a little time off uh, after the passing of my, my dog, Rolly, my boxer, my best friend. I'm going to talk a little bit about him in a minute, but uh, we have just so much to discuss on this episode. I'm going to get through NBA, everything that's going on in the NBA bubble. Where are the teams stacked up? What do the standings look like right now? In baseball, we're 25% of the way through the season for most teams. Who's hot? Who's not? Who have been some of the biggest surprises early on in the baseball season? Huge news in college football. A couple of the conferences have canceled their football seasons. Seems like a couple of the other big conferences wanted to go through with it and play and there's a couple that are just kind of stuck out in limbo waiting around. We give you all the details. Who's cancelled? Who's postponed? Who's trying to go through with it and continue to play this college season? We have Bree Mott who joins us for an interview. We talk all about Stable Duel. She's the director of marketing over at Stable Duel. We get some background how she got involved with Stable Duel and some things to look forward to coming up in the future. We give you a analysis for my stable dual lineup for Lone Star for Wednesday. So if you're going to play the races for Wednesday at Lone Star or if you're going to play a stable dual lineup, make sure to listen in to see who are some of the horses I think are good value at the level. We have Saratoga plays for Wednesday. Full card for Saratoga early and late pick five. We've got Canterbury talk for Wednesday and for Thursday with Brian Aragoni. He joins us to talk late pick fives for both of those days. I give you an early pick five for Canterbury for Thursday. And then we close things out with a SummerSlam 1994 old wrestling rewatch with Andrew Champagne and Darren Zocali. I mean, folks, let's be honest. Where could you get basketball, baseball? college football. We even have some NFL news in the mix. We get you an interview with Bree about Stable Duel. We get you Saratoga Wednesday and Thursday, Canterbury Wednesday and Thursday, Lone Star Wednesday with a Stable Duel lineup, and then we close things out with some old wrestling. You don't find that kind of variety anywhere else. Before we get into all of the sports and everything, I wanted to just share some thoughts about my big uh, my big boxer, Rolly, who passed away. It's uh, been a little over a week now. He was 13 and a half, and he was a big, big part of my life. Because um, I had never had a dogs growing up. And I I played a lot of sports, and I was involved in a lot of clubs and programs and things like that. So I wasn't home very much as a kid, and we just we didn't really have animals. So I, I've, you know, played with my friends' dogs and family friends' dogs and, you know, interacted with some here and there. But I never, never got that comfortability with a dog that you get or a pet that you get when you have them and you're around them all the time. I was about scared but not really comfortable around dogs all the time. I just was maybe a little squeamish. I wasn't sure if they were going to jump. You know, I just I think that's how a lot of people are that that, that don't have dogs. And then um, in 2020, uh, 2010 I was sick and um, I, I started dating a girl um, and she had a couple dogs and it was funny because she had said she thought at the very beginning it might have been a deal breaker because she could see if maybe I was a little uncomfortable with them the first few times. And it was Rolly, who's a boxer, and Bug, who's a Boston Terrier, who uh, I still have now. And it was a time in my life when I was sick. I, I had cancer. I was going through rounds of chemotherapy. I was in and out of the hospital. I was not working. I didn't have much going on in my life. So I was home a lot. And I started spending all, all this time with these dogs. And I just fell in love with them. And and in particular, 
um, the connection that I have with Rolly, and I think maybe even because he was with a girl, you know, he had a girl sister and, and his mom, and he didn't have any boys around. And I think um, we just we just hit it off. This guy was the nicest, sweetest dog you will ever meet. He, and when, and when I talk about, it, I mean he he didn't do anything wrong, anything. He, he didn't feel like a dog. He felt like a human. He, he honestly felt like he was listening to everything that you were saying and that he was telling you exactly how he was feeling. Early on, he was skinny. He was a picky eater. And then I remember sw- switching foods with him and he just started to eat everything. And and I, I was... I would spoil him. As someone who saw him not want to eat a whole lot, I ended up giving him everything. And, I mean... I would steaks, hamburgers, I would everything that I was eating, he would be eating with me, fries. I know a bunch of stuff you're not supposed to give dogs. He loved in particular I don't know why these certain things like bread and butter from Outback Steakhouse. He would love. I'd, I'd put the little butter on the bread for him and give it to him or syrup when I would have which is awful. I would finish my waffles or pancakes and and he'd lick the uh the, the rest of the syrup up outside. He absolutely adored his sister. Bug. I've never seen anything like the connection that that he had to her, the way he treated her. He just adored her. Whatever she wanted to do, she did. She would sit right on top of him. She would get all the toys to play with. If she wanted to eat some of his food, she she would get whatever she wanted. He, if she walked outside for two seconds and came back inside, he would give her a kiss because he missed her. It was his genuine love. Even just to see between two dogs, it always made me feel good in my heart. I I just, I never, I don't think I'd ever met a, a person who was so kind as this dog, Rolly, was. I mean, he was so just genuine. He never barked. He always listened. He looked you right in the eyes. He let his sisters, Bug and Ellie, the Chihuahua, we have two now. He let them, you know, play with the, the toys. And he was with me, you know, I met him and we were down in Anaheim for a while and then to Monrovia and then back to my parents at Temple City five years ago he had eye ulcers and at this point he was complete at that point he was completely blind he couldn't see he had lost his sight we didn't know what was happening we took him in we found out that he had eye ulcers they told us they were going to do surgeries it, it was it was common for older boxers and older dogs to get this and they were going to do surgery and there was like a 90 90% chance that he would get his sight back and be be fine for a few years afterwards so I remember doing the surgery and after the surgery he just he's still they said it'll take a few days and he'll be able to see and there was a few days he couldn't see and it was about a week after the surgery and he still couldn't see he was still kind of bumping into things and walking around and it was it was heartbreaking and we talked to the doctors and they said okay there's one um, medication that we can try these these eye drops might be able to to open things up a, a little bit for him and we gave him these eye drops, and I remember when he walked outside, and he looked up at the sky, and you could tell that he could see. It was one of the best feelings of my life. It was like my best buddy could see again. And and this was five years ago. You know, we were worried at this point that if this didn't happen, he was going to have a really tough time, you know, moving around, bumping into things, not being able to really see, because he's a big guy, you know, he's 100 pounds, and... I can I remember that feeling seeing him walk down and look up at the sky like the the first time he saw it 
and opened his eyes and smile. It just made me feel so good. He had a big smile on his face and 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 he he never really had a lot of issues until you start to get older. Like they say, father time is undefeated. And then after the eye ulcers, he had um, the you know little things with his with his feet, skin tags, little tumors, stuff with his ear, um, and and then we found out about a year and a half ago, actually more closer to two years ago, that he had stomach cancer. And at this point, he's you know eleven years old. And he's really, really big. And since it's in his stomach, it's not even something that they could really go after and get. And we had spoken, and they said, you know, honestly, he's so big at this point. Anesthesia, putting him under, getting him back up, that kind of stuff might might not be good for his heart. That that might do it for him. He might not make it through that. So we decided. And we talked with the doctors and we said, you know what, we got some medication that can help him and we're just going to keep him as comfortable as possible. And that was for another two years. He was just the toughest guy. It's so it's so strange to have someone who is so sweet yet so tough, right? You generally feel like you got, oh man, they're really, really tough. They're kind of hard-nosed. Or you get someone who's very, very sweet. But this guy was the nicest and the toughest. He just wanted to... To be around for all of us And He just kept fighting And my whole family had never had a dog before So we, my mom, my dad My sister Snow Absolutely fell in love with this guy He When I ended up breaking up with the girlfriend And I moved back in with my family He came back with me He stayed with me She understood that you know, We were in a situation where we had a, a bigger house there A bigger yard We had a lot of people that were going to spoil them all the time And and so my family fell in love with, with these dogs And you know for the last few months My mom was watching him uh, every night Staying up with them, helping him go to sleep And that was one of the hardest things That I was uh, I was having to deal with Was just I didn't want to see him suffer And I didn't want to see him struggle And I like I said I've, I've never had a dog So I've never had to have uh, go through what it, Putting a dog down And, and, and all that And I, I didn't want to do that And he was struggling and, and starting to hurt towards the end And it was getting to the point where it was Probably going to happen We were looking into You know things that were Were going to be better for him And I think at the very end He even Kind of Was always giving gifts To all of us And always wanting to To take care of all of us It, it felt like he was The head of the family Because he just He ended up uh, Passing away peacefully In his In his spot That he sat with the On the On the living room floor Every day for For years and years and years And he was right there With me and my mom And And all of his family At the very end I think it was Um it, it was sad, but I'm glad he got to go uh, that way with all of us in a place he loved. And he was 13 and a half years old for uh, for a boxer. And that's a that's a lot. It's a lot of years for a boxer. And I mean, my grand my grandma just she wasn't a dog person at all. And when these dogs came in, she just loved them. She would smile. He would sit right by her door, right by her bed, and watch over her, and and she just lit up. Whenever she saw him And he just He never bothered anybody He never annoyed you I love Some dogs will get So excited to see you They'll jump on your lap Over and over And they'll kiss you a million times And they don't stop He just Like I said He knew Come up He'll say hello He'll give you love He'll sit next to you if you want But he's not gonna overdo it He's not gonna bark He's not gonna be crazy He's just A Got really spoiled for uh, the the experience that I had with uh, with dogs right off the bat, and we have 
bug in Eleanor And that that's what makes me really really sad Ellie the chihuahua she's the youngest She's a little more of a loner She kind of hangs out with my dad a lot And she she's kind of on her own But bug and Rolly They've been together for 10 years uh, 12, 11 years Almost bug's entire life That that was that was her companion And it's it's sad Because you, you could tell like the, the dogs know she knows he's not around And she's been sad and and it's definitely weighing on her, but we're doing our best to, to spoil her and um, take good care of, uh, of them. It's just, you know, one of those things when, when you lose someone that you love. And if you haven't had a dog or the interaction with the dog, you you don't understand what I'm saying. Because I wouldn't have understood if you were telling me something like this before I had this kind of relationship. But they're just with you so much every day, always there unconditionally, depending on you. And it just, it's still been sort of a week and it doesn't feel real. I kind of expect to look down and, and have him be there and just kind of vent when I've had a bad day and he just sits there and, and listens to me. So, very sad. And we'll have to take really, really, really good care of, uh, of his sister, Bug, because we're all, we're all going to miss him. And I know she's going to be uh, devastated without him. But I appreciate everybody listening to my uh, my sob story of, uh, of my good friend because I know a lot of. I mean, I talk a lot of horse racing on here, and so most of us who are in horse racing are animal lovers, and and I think everybody out there, dogs, cats, um, some some sort of animals, and, and some sort of pets, and this this one was more than that to me. He was a he was my best friend for you know a, a decade now, and he was a really really big part of of our family. And he, it's funny to say, but he kind of sort of felt like the leader of our family. We all sort of took our cues from him, and. Um, It'll be it'll be sad and it'll be hard and something that we will we will never never uh, get over, and I'm sure as many of you have experienced. So, time to to discuss some some more sports, but I wanted to give a little tribute out to uh, to Rolly. So, thanks for uh, for sitting through that with me. And now we are gonna hear from one of our sponsors. We're gonna get into NBA, MLB, NCAA football, NFL stable duel with Bree. Wednesday stable duel lineup. Wednesday Saratoga. Wednesday Canterbury with Brian. Thursday Saratoga. Thursday Canterbury with Brian. And SummerSlam. Oh yeah, that's a mouthful. Very lucky on that's what G said to have had Sarah Candle Company as a longtime sponsor. SarahCandles.com is the website. C-E-R-A Candles.com. The goal of this company? To create a candle that was 100% natural, clean burning, and of the highest quality that everyone can enjoy. I know the people from this company personally, and there are so many reasons why I, I wanted to have Sarah Candles as a sponsor. They have all-natural soy wax candles, so they're free from toxins that are found in paraffin wax, which is used by the other leading brands. That means these candles are actually better for you, and the the natural soy wax actually will hold your scent longer, up to 50% longer. They're 100% lead-free, cotton wicks. They're just better for you, completely natural scents. They're 100% locally sourced. They're handcrafted in the USA. They're made in micro batches, and you have... A ton of different scents available for you, 25 different scents available, three different sizes, the best ingredients, quality packaging, affordable pricing, longer burning candles, and none of those toxins, carcinogens, or pollutants. And hey, 
Got a little bonus for you here. Use the promo code G-I-N-O. It'll get you 10% off of your purchase. They have instructions and details on how to keep your candle clean and ensure the perfect burn. Make sure you check those out. You want to make sure that August the 11th, we are already 25% through the baseball season. A season that is a 60-game shortened season. And there are early talks about putting the playoffs in a bubble-type format like the NBA is doing. The issues that the Cardinals and the Marlins have had could have shut the whole league down, and they still might if the if there are more issues. They they cannot they couldn't delay a playoff series like they've had to delay these Cardinals and Marlins games. They can't have a bunch of makeup double headers in the playoffs. So what baseball is looking at is a multi city format similar to what the NHL is doing, and Southern California would be right at the top of the list based on weather. At the time of the year In you know two months from now Month and a half And what's nice about Southern California is You could have a, a couple stadiums rotation Where you're playing at Dodger Stadium Angel Stadium and Petco Stadium Down in San Diego within two hours of each other Right now Baseball Is going to have a 16 team Playoff this year So you're going to have the top two teams from each division that get in And then the four best And so the top two teams from each division get in And then the two remaining best records So they're going to have eight from each Two, four, six, your top two from each division And then two sort of wild cards in each um, In American and in national The four best records will all host the best of three series There's going to be a five-game divisional round, a seven-game championship series, and a seven-game World Series. Now, if the season... Don't you love when, when, when we do this? And it's so hard. You really can't do this in a season where you've had two teams, you know, like the Marlins have played 10 games, and the Cardinals have played five. And the Dodgers have played 17 games. And the Cardinals are 12... 12 games behind them But this is what The postseason would look like Today With the, the 16 teams in If it um, If it were to if the playoffs were to start today So in the American League It would be the number 1 seeded Oakland A's Against the number 8 Baltimore Orioles Yeah the Orioles would be in the playoffs The 2 would be the, the Twins It would be 2-7 Twins versus the Indians a little division matchup there You get the number 3 seeded Yankees Versus the number 6 Astros That would be a, a fun First round matchup And then the Tigers, number 4 They're 9-5, and five. they would face the Rays At 9-8 and eight. And then over in the National League The Cubbies are the number 1 seed They're 10-3, and three. they would face the number 8 seeded Phillies Who are 5-6 and six. It would be the 2 seeded Marlins Yes, the Marlins At 7-3, and three. they would face the number 7 Padres Who are 10-7 and seven. The Rockies are the three seed. They're eleven and five. They would face the Reds at seven and nine. And the, the Dodgers right now are currently the number four versus the Braves, who are the five at eleven and seven. Dodgers are eleven and six. So, yeah, baseball is going to be different this year. We're going to have sixteen teams in the uh, in the postseason, and could be in a multi-city bubble format like the NHL. It's been working very well for the NHL. The bubble format's been doing a great job for the NBA. If you 
didn't see the incident the other day that happened between the Astros and the A's. Go look it up. Um, one of the Astros coaches got suspended for 20 games for basically calling out Ramon Laureano. So what if, what happened in this throughout the series, the A's were just kicking the crap out of the Astros. And Laureano ended up getting hit three times throughout the series. And this was the, the third time he got hit. He was a little frustrated. So after, he was kind of mocking the pitcher and showing him how to throw a slider and saying, you know, your, your, your pitch isn't, isn't moving. Here, you got to snap that wrist a little bit. And so Laureano jogs down to first, and he's getting taunted by one of the coaches, Cintron, from the Astros dugout. And when they slow it down, you so, he's basically, the Astros coach is basically saying, come on, you know, he's... he's He's doing the, uh, the the motion Bring it on, bring it on And apparently he says something very vile About Loriano's mother And Ramon Loriano sprints From first base Towards the Astros dugout And because the Astros are all You know, line, standing right there They're able to line up and set up a wall right in front And the coach who was talking Shit the whole time He ends up backing out and like weaseling his way out And he's not even involved in anything And bench is clear we find out today at, at the at least we're finally getting some suspensions because he got suspended. Cistron did for twenty games. Ramon Laureano, who charged the dugout, he got suspended for five, which is funny when you think about it because he got suspended for more ga- for less games than Joe Kelly, and Joe Kelly threw some pitches at the Astros players but didn't even hit anybody. Charging like that seems like it would be worth more of a suspension. I think. Rob Manfred and baseball realize they're in some trouble here Because they've basically given the Astros All this immunity To where the Astros feel like They're the ones being wronged all the time And We've I don't know if this is going to stop We'll see Every team, a lot of teams That they face when they're in situations And the game's not on the line Those feelings And that hatred for the Astros Is going to spark up and I mean, this was go check this out uh, the the Astros A's um, incident with with Loriano if you if you haven't seen it yet. So the biggest surprises in baseball so far we mentioned some of them when we went through what the playoffs would look like. It'd have to be Baltimore at seven and seven. Baltimore was a team that we, we talked about maybe only winning fifteen games or in games in the low teens. They're they're probably halfway to what people thought they would win the entire year. About the Tigers, they've won four games in a row. They're nine and five. It really, the entire American League Central, because it looked like they would have a couple really bad teams in there. Everybody in that division has seven wins. The Royals have been playing some some solid baseball too. Uh, the White Sox have been sort of inconsistent. Indians have been pitching awesome, and the Twins have been hitting the ball like you'd expect. The Astros are 7-9, and nine. they're struggling a little bit They don't have uh, The same type of pitching they used to And some of the big bats aren't hitting It's a little more difficult when you don't know What pitches are coming The Oakland A's are 12-5 and five. They're, They look like The best team in baseball They are 9-1 in their last 10 games Just Rock solid Tons of arms to throw at you And a solid underrated lineup the Marlins, they're 7-3 and three. They're still a few games behind As far as overall games played But 
The Marlins are playing some good baseball They've been in a situation where they've had to use more players And more pitchers than anyone Because of all of their issues with COVID And they're still bringing pitchers up And players up That are contributing at the major league level They're doing a great job They're another team When you look at their win total And they're 7-3 and three right now Maybe we thought we, they would get to 20 wins The Rockies playing some good ball. The American or the National League West has has been a, a a solid division also. Between the the Rockies, the Dodgers, and the Padres, all playing good ball. The Rockies are eleven and five. They lead the league with a two seventy batting average. And the Cubbies, they are ten and three, and a team that I don't know if the Cubs. Can sustain what they're doing It reminds and But it reminds me of what they were doing last year But here's the thing Last year they weren't going to be able to sustain the pitching Through a Full season Can they sustain their pitching In a shortened season I think it's much more likely The problem they have is Their starting pitching has been pretty good But their bullpen in Kimbrel is He's basically like a non-factor you really can't even go to him anymore So when you look at the Cubs And what they've been getting From their starting pitching so far Can it hold up? Lester has been excellent in a few starts But we've saw, we've seen this from him at the beginning of seasons Can he hold up? Older, lots of innings on those arm on that arm Alec Mills Yu Darvish, Kyle Hendricks And uh, Tyler Chatwood Craig Kimbler just mentioned he's, he's given up 7 earned runs in 4 games In 4 outings so you have a team that's 10-3 and three, But they only have a plus 7 run differential Is that going to You can look at these two A's with all of these teams Right now in the short sample size Is Is it going to even out For the Cubs And are they going to be more like a 500 team Or Are their bats going to wake up and catch up a little bit In order to pick up The slack And even if the pitching goes down They'll still be a You know, one of the top teams in the National League I think we can say similar stuff for the Dodgers Because The Dodgers are 11-6 and But they're not It's funny They're not playing good And they're not playing bad They they could very easily be undefeated And I'm saying this as someone who's watched every inning of every Dodger game I'm I'm not saying Oh, I mean Look back at their losses The losses are games they, They blew a couple in games where they lost by one They made base running errors They made a little error, error here It seems like for them Every mistake they make really hurts them Which is is strange for a team That is so deep and so talented Now you look at a team like the Dodgers And they have a plus 40 run differential Even with not playing well Nobody in baseball has a, a run differential Of better than plus 27 So just by that statistic alone they tower over the field And the Dodgers do that because They are So deep and so solid throughout That even when guys like Bellinger And Muncy Are struggling, Bellinger's only hitting 176 with a 233 on base Percentage, Muncy's only hitting 182 With a 308 on base percentage Turner's hitting 250 With a 347 on base percentage, he's been a little bit better And then Mookie after a slow start He's been really heating up He was banged up and he missed a few games We've also seen Seager now miss a few games And he was the best player on the team Through the first 10-12 games 
He hit, he's hitting 340, but now he's banged up. We're waiting to hear more on him. AJ Pollock, it, it's been Pollock and Seager carrying the load because Pollock's hitting 304. He has four home runs and nine RBIs for the Dodgers. Jock has been struggling. He's only hitting 182. Chris Taylor's only hitting 229. Kiki had a great first game, but he's struggled since then. So you have two guys who are playing well, and now one of them's hurt. Everybody else has been eh. To well below average But they're still 11 and 6 They're still 2nd in baseball in runs And in home runs They're still 3rd in RBIs But the two key statistics that need to improve They're 19th in batting average And they're 15th in on base percentage Those numbers have got to go up For a team as talented as the Dodgers The reason why they're 11 and 6 is you know The, the pitching Their bullpen's been incredible and their starting pitching has been really good Overall they are second in the majors in ERA They have a 2.50 ERA They're one of only two teams that has an ERA under 3 The Indians ERA is awesome They have a 2.04 ERA Lowest in baseball Then the Dodgers are 2.5 And then everybody else is over 3 So With Kershaw and Bueller Expected to you know, get more ramped up now. Kershaw missed a start. Bueller hasn't quite been himself. He was better last game. We just expect that Bellinger doesn't have to get back to MVP form. You just expect he's not going to be hitting 170. Muncy doesn't have to get back to the guy who he's been the last two years. You just can't have him be a like a negative in your lineup. So, yeah, it's been it's been weird for for the Dodgers because every single game it feels like they should win. So it's a little deflating being eleven and six, but then you look at it and you go, well, they haven't been beat up in any game. They have a lot of guys who have not really been playing well at all and not hitting their stride yet. So another one of those is this: who these Dodgers are this year, or are they going to regress to the mean? Which in this case would be a ton of improvement. For guys like Bellinger, Muncie, Turner, even Mookie, Jock, Taylor, they'd all improve a little bit. And then this team would be much better. It's just that the runners in scoring position, timely hitting has been a big issue for them early on. That was a, a factor that's plagued these Dodgers for many, many years. But you look at their bullpen. As a fan, I've never felt as confident in a bullpen as far as their depth is concerned. Almost every arm they throw out there right now, I feel pretty confident in. Pedro Baez, Blake Trennan, Joe Kelly, Rooster Gratterall, who's struggled the most, but he's got really good stuff, and he's young. Caleb Ferguson's been awesome. Choleric, Jake McGee, Dennis Santana, Scott Alexander, Floro, and then you got Kenley. Don't forget, Gonsolin and Wood are, you know, Gonsolin's there whenever you need him. Wood is injured. So, the depth they have in the pitching, that's the reason why you can play... Just very mediocre baseball And be 11-6 and through 17 games Padres offense I I just gotta give a little shout out to them Strong They beat the Dodgers I'm recording this on Tuesday They beat the Dodgers on Monday night And the Padres offense They're third in runs First in home runs Second in RBIs Second in total bases And they're first in stolen bases With 20 they're third in OPS and they're first in slugging. They have just been crushing the ball. Fernando Tatis Jr. is a monster down there. Keep an eye on that gentleman. Anytime he's up to bat, stop what you're doing and, and watch. Uh, just a, a real, real talent. So, baseball, 
Everyone's got about 14 to 17 games played About 25% of the season It's just the Cardinals who have played 5 games They're only 2-3 and three, And the Marlins who have only played 10 games They're 7-3 and three. What's going to happen if the Cardinals can't get playing In the next few days They're going to really have to catch up They're going to have a string of double headers That are already scheduled in early September And it's just going to decimate their pitching staff it, it It's going to be unfortunate Because they're going to be playing Really up against it all the rest of the year If they're even able to, to finish out We just keep our fingers crossed So Baseball Already 25% of the way through We'll keep uh, updating you Every couple days because it's different You know, This season is way different Normally you could go like a week or two And not talk a whole lot about what's going on in baseball Maybe check in once or twice The standings don't move that much It's not that big a deal Now every few days is massive I guess it feels like we just started and we're already a quarter of the way through Now some really Important news In College football today The Big Ten And the Pac-12 Have cancelled College football for the upcoming season They will at least be postponing it Slash delaying it They will be trying To play in spring The Pac-12 has mentioned if things get better They could try to play you know, Starting January the 1st And what's been crazy over the last couple days Is we've had presidents from the universities Athletic directors Chancellors from universities All meeting with their individual conferences We've had Trump tweeting Let's play We've had the players come out and say that they want to play We've had coaches coming out Against the decisions of their universities The presidents, the chancellors Saying they want to play, they're ready to play They think they can they can be safe Nebraska now, they're saying That they want to go Outside of the Big Ten They're saying that they're willing to go play Anyone, anywhere Anytime, and they're looking into that So what happens if one or two of these teams Decide to break off from their conferences Because they want to play this year Because as of right now The SEC yeah, They said they're playing The SEC said they are playing They are going to try to play football this year And We're Seeing the Sun Belt That's also saying They're going to play And the ACC They're going to wade out a little bit more They want to play We've heard Trevor uh, Lawrence you know, Tweeting out that he wants to play Their league presidents and chancellors are going to meet on Wednesday The Big 12 The ADs and the conference board of directors Is going to meet on Tuesday The Mount, uh, We'll see what the Big 12 is going to do So we know Big 10, Pac-12, done SEC, not done ACC, probably following the lead of the SEC And Big 12 is just up in the air the Mountain West has postponed the 2020 fall sports indefinitely And the reason why this is happening right now Not the reason, one of the reasons is There has recently been a lot of data coming out And reports of students with COVID-related heart issues Lung, neurological damage That are from kids or from folks who have had coronavirus And have recovered from it so there's it's a lot going on right now. Nebraska, the athletic director, has uh, had released a statement 
We're very disappointed in the decision by the Big Ten Conference to postpone fall football this season as we have been and continue to be ready to play. Safety comes first. Based on the conversations with our medical experts, we continue to strongly believe the absolute safest place for our student-athletes is within the rigorous safety protocols, testing procedures, and the structures and support provided by Husker Athletics. We will continue to consult with medical experts and evaluate the situation as it emerges. We hope it may be possible for our student-athletes to have the opportunity to compete. So, Nebraska, they're out there, and maybe they're going rogue. This is, so, I mean, what do you do if you're the SEC? You just play, you're just going to play your conference, you're going to play against maybe one or two of the other conferences in a quote-unquote playoff? I just, it, it feels weird that there would be two or three conferences playing, big ones and two or three big conferences not playing, because then what happens... If you try to move it to the spring next year, what about all the players that are going to try to go pro? Why why are they going to play in the spring and risk an injury? They're just going to they're just going to sit out and go straight to straight to the pros. Just a messy situation and unfortunate situation. As I'm you know huge uh, USC fan, I love college football. This is something for years I've shared with my dad and my family, watching games together, talking about games, and my sister works for USC in the athletic department. Just uh, really, really sad that there won't be Pac-12 college football, USC football this year. I mean, maybe next year, but not not going to be in, uh, in in 2020. Let's get over to the NFL with some news there. Lamar Miller, running back, signs a one-year deal with the Patriots. With uh, Sony Michelle having off-season surgery, he's on the pup list. And Brandon Bolden has opted out. Lamar Miller tore his ACL in his third preseason game last year. This is a typical move for the Patriots. Take a shot on someone, and he could help in their backfield because you know you got James White, you got Burkhead that are back there, but they're more pass-catching types. The Washington owner, Daniel Snyder, says that an ex-employee took money in exchange for spreading outrageous lies. He's filed a defamation case. Recently, there have been allegations of sexual harassment, drug use, sex trafficking involving Daniel Snyder and the former Washington Redskins, now Washington. Hard Knocks, NFL, on the HBO. It's going to be back. Hard Knocks, Los Angeles. We'll show how the Rams and the Chargers are preparing for a year unlike any other. It starts Tuesday night, 10 Eastern, on HBO. We're going to recap the episodes of Hard Knocks right here. On that's what G said, so we'll have a recap for you a little later this week. Remember last year? This is, so this is the 15th season. Last year was the Raiders, all that Antonio Brown stuff. Right in the middle, he's playing, he's not, the helmet, this and that. And and that was, that was a, a train wreck to watch. So far this year, we're almost up to 70 players that have opted out. And almost half of them are linemen. The last I saw was 20 offensive linemen and 11 defensive linemen at least. We've had 8 players from the Patriots, including Patrick Chung, Marquise Lee, and Dante Hightower. 5 players from the Browns. The Steelers, Falcons, and Chargers have had no opt-outs so far. And I think the date to opt-out has passed now. So, you you won't see Devin Funches, Geronimo Allison, Marvel Tell, Damian Williams running back for the Chiefs. Alan Hearns, Albert Wilson, a couple wide receivers for the Dolphins, CJ Mosley, Marquise Goodwin, and Travis Benjamin, all opting out of the NFL season. 
but sports are back with baseball, with basketball, golf is in full swing, and Thrive Fantasy is a great app to check out if you're like me and you're into fantasy sports, if you're into to gambling, if you love watching sports and and having action for, you know, all different Types right some of us bet big But others of us like to play for In, in contest or things that we can get involved in For a dollar two dollars five dollars Ten dollars twenty five dollars and have the chance To win hundreds and thousands this is what Thrive Fantasy is it is a new Daily fantasy app for prop betting So what you're going to do Is you're going to select a lineup And in each lineup you're going to Pick the the amount That you have to pick over or Under of each prop so let me give you an example They'll say something like, will Tom Brady throw for over or under 250 yards? Over 100 points? Under 80 points? You pick over or under. So if you're someone who's very into prop betting, you will absolutely love this site. It is a ton of fun. Gives you action all day. You can play in head-to-head matchups. You can play in little group contests. Or you can play in some of the big contests where you, you enter for 20, 25 bucks and you have the chance to win thousands. Right now, if you use the promo code GINO, Gino, my name, GINO, deposit 20, you get an instant $20 bonus credit. I'm going to show some videos on my social media going through how to build your lineup and what the uh, the app looks like for Thrive Fantasy. But remember, if you're ever looking for a good way to support, uh, that's what G said, supporting our sponsors is the best way to do so. Use that promo code GINO. You get a free 20 right in your pocket. I get a few bucks in my pocket. It helps me look good. Everybody looks good. Gives you the opportunity to win some money on Thrive Fantasy. If you like basketball, baseball, golf, League of Legends, um, soccer They have all sorts of contests For all the different sports there Thrive Fantasy, check them out Remember to use that promo code G-I-N-O Get you an instant $20 bonus credit When you deposit 20 Up next, it's an interview with Bree Mott From Stable Duel, the director of marketing Over at Stable Duel We talk about Stable Duel What is it? We go through some of the specifics, how they came together, and some of the things to look forward to in the next few weeks, months, and hopefully years moving forward with Stable Duel. Kick back and enjoy this interview with Bree Mott. Okay, next up we have an interview, and this one's going to be with Bree Mott from Stable Duel. You've heard us talking about Stable Duel for a while here. That's what Jason new game out there. Absolutely love it. Horse racing contest, daily contest, and it's it's a little bit different. So Bree Mont is the director of marketing for Stable. She's going to talk with us a little bit about it, and we have her on the line right now. Bree, how you doing? I'm good. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing great. Thanks for joining me. So we want to talk all about Stable Duel because we're playing it. A lot of people are asking questions about it, and I figure we could uh, just get a little more information out there about Stable Duel. But before we get into it, tell us a little bit about you. How do you get into horse racing? What were some of the things you were doing before you started working with Stable Duel? Sure, sure. So I think I kind of had an interesting path because I was not born or raised in racing. And actually, my first horse race ever was in 2009. So I guess 11 years ago, I did an internship in Lexington, Kentucky. I was that typical thought I wanted to be a horse vet because I loved horses and animals. And so I did an internship at Ashford where American Pharaoh and Justify are currently. Yeah. I mean, gorgeous, gorgeous farm. And so kind of got a quick like learning curve into what racing was. And so Keeneland was my first horse race that year, 2009 in April. And I mean, I loved it. I think the business itself, um, fun fact, which I'm sure a lot of people 
would be surprised. I was hooked on dairy cows, like wanted to have a dairy farm, <laughs> wanted to be a dairy farmer, I swear to God. So prior to doing that internship, I mean, I did so much work with dairy cows and still love them to this day. But um, when I got into the internship in April, I kind of like some of the glamour of racing that doesn't exist in the dairy world. And I started to put a little bit more effort in the thoroughbred racing. And after Ashford, I worked for Nixito on the racetrack in Saratoga as a hot walker. And then I've done, you know, the grooming and the sales. And pretty much after that, you just kind of couldn't keep me away. So traveled to New Zealand, worked on a farm in New Zealand. I went racing in Australia during the black caviar days. Those were amazing to see her in person. And um, graduated college and kind of came back. And then pretty much I worked as an assistant to a bloodstock agent who's Chris Brothers, who um, is in Stable Duel now, and when I was with Team Valor for six years after Chris, um, he got involved with Stable Duel early, and he was like, you need to come and work with us when we get off the ground. Like, you need to come and do marketing, and um, that's pretty much what came came to be after I wrapped up with Team Valor, and I went straight to Stable Duel, and I've been with Stable Duel for, Yes, oh my gosh, it's kind of crazy. Not two years yet, but January of last year I started. Um, we weren't even, we were pretty much like an Excel sheet on your desktop to try to get people <laughs> to play and check it out. But yeah, I've been with the company uh, since that point, And it's just been really exciting to be with a brand. And I'm all about like building brands, um, getting new fans involved in racing. Um, I, I guess I left this out too. I had started Fashion of the Races in 2012 with the same premise where it was to get a new type of fan to um, kind of the racetracks in the racing world. And um, yeah. And so I, I actually sold Fashion of the Races this year and all my efforts to um, Stable Duel. And so here I am and having a great time building this brand. And that's just actually really cool. Um, I've had a few people reach out to me and say, well, was, this is a whole side of Brie Mont that I didn't even know. You know, they said, they said, I saw her with the, you know, the fashion at the races stuff. And it's so cool to see that she is so into stable duel. She's into the, you know, the gambling, the playing aspect side of it too, which is really cool. It's just shown in the decade or so that you've been involved in horse racing, the different hats that you could wear and, and the different interests that you have. And it all comes back to the horse and the animal. And for you, even the cow prior to that, you know, the, <laughs> know. the, the animal that we, that we all, uh, that we all love. And and you started to to get into how this came together. So tell us a little bit about the team. You have a a, a pretty small kind of group of 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 I guess the the executives or the board there over at Stable Duel sure. who's really put things together. Give us some of those names. Tell us a little bit about how how this all came together. You mentioned Chris was was the idea his? Did he formulate it or or you know how how did the because because this is something that's been it, it's there there's different types of, of what we of what stable duel is out there some people have sort of tried different things but this feels different and it really does feel like what fits in the time that we're in right now with the way other sports are going the way other things that have caught on with you know we say the word fantasy and dfs this is a this is a little different this is more of a contest but it's, it's kind, of, kind of a similar with the salary cap so how does this all come together so 
pretty much this is a brainchild of one person and then the rest of the team has kind of like fallen into play. So there's a total of seven of us um, and Augie Griner, he is the one that kind of thought up the present, the, the premise of the game. And then there's the seven of us now currently in the office. So like you said, it's kind of been a really cool group because um, we all love racing and it, it's not as if we were all born into it. Like we're all kind of coming in at the same mindset where we want to grow racing knowing um some of the the struggles knowing that it can be popular but why maybe it's not um and then really we bring in our love of racing and being fans and we call ourselves like weird degenerates here in the office <laughs> so we all like to play we all like to gamble i mean two of the girls um that kind of do the more of the tech side of things um they like had no idea about horse racing when we brought them on and they are, well, actually, that's not true. One, one did not. The other one um, does. She actually came from an academic background prior to us. And she is into the aftercare. And she does a little bit of gambling herself. And um, then the other one had never, ever, like, really dabbled too much in, in racing and gambling. And so, like, we'll sit sometimes in the office if it's slower. We'll put the races on the big screen. And we'll all just be sitting there and, like, talking about who we're going to bet on. Um, obviously it's a little bit busier now that we've launched, so we kind of have less of those fun moments, but it's a really, really fun group. Um, we got somebody from New York city, um, another John, he kind of came from the finance world and he left that behind. He went on like a two month sailing trip. Um, I would literally claw my eyes out if I was sailing <laughs> for two months, um, but like his stories are awesome. And so he's kind of like, he's like the Buddha in the office. Like he'll come in with these just like thoughtful things of all of us to think about, but he owns horses um, with Chris and same with Pete. And, and then he gambles himself and, it's just a really fun group of people where we really are trying to do something better for racing, for the horsemen groups, along with the tracks. And then obviously with the horse players, like the horse players are a massive part of racing in general. There are people that we want to hang out with that we want to, you know, create a problem or product for. And that's what we did um, in, in the entirety of creating Stable Duel. It was with them in mind and also with the new fans in mind. And we want people to be able to have an easy kind of, positive and like not scary way to get into racing and we think that's part of what stable duel can do for the industry and so we have worked really hard knowing all of our own backgrounds and our own like where we came from what we're good at what we're not good at you know whether it's betting whether it's like horsemen we all bring in kind of like well-rounded because it's not as if we're experts in any field and we think that that's part of some of the issues in racing is rather than realizing that not everybody knows and not everybody can understand yeah, that everybody wants great, to understand, um, you know, give the people like what they want so that they have a great experience. And so um, our horse, I mean, we can talk about the app too, but our horse detail screen, like, yes, it's supposed to be like a sort of a PP for um, knowledgeable horse players, but it's also supposed to be a quick look for newbies so that they can look and say, Oh, this horse has a speed figure of S that means, you know, going to be super fast in the race compared to the other ones. It has a risk number of X. So that means, you know, it's a little risky to pick, pick this horse. And then they can make a decision off of that rather than looking at a massive PP and being like, I don't understand any of this. Why am I trying? It's overwhelming so, for a lot of people, you know, and, and they, they look at it for the first time. And unless there's someone there to kind of hold their hand and explain it to them, a lot of people will get turned off immediately. And one of the things that I've loved 
um, in just the conversations I've had with you since you know Stable Duel has been going on, and some of the stuff I've seen following along with you with you guys online is that you are really receptive to feedback because you you mentioned something that's really important to you, the customers. You understand that you're making this game, you're creating this game for all all of these people out there to play, all of us to play. If the the players aren't happy or if there's some things that are frustrating them, they're not going to continue to play. And immediately, one of the things, there was like a deposit fee. There were a couple people that said something about that. And then immediately you scrapped that. And there, there were a few things that had been talking, uh, people had been saying. I just, like everything that's out that is said or that is some com- some criticism, in, st- in, in horse racing in particular, everybody gets kind of sensitive and gets offended. And you guys have taken the opposite approach, which is very refreshing to see in this day and age. Because it's just, oh, you know what? If that's something that's... And, and you know, in any product with any company, there's going to be people that complain about this thing or that thing. But if there's, a, it, it seems like when there have been multiple gripes about something or people saying maybe this could tweak or this could tweak, you you all really seem to be wanting to make the product the best as possible, and and that is something that I think we don't see enough of nowadays. Yeah, yeah, and and excuse my shrewdness, but you know we're not gonna bend over and take it from anybody all the time. Like we mm-hmm. are, we are here to. One of our slogans is "by the players for the players." Um, we believe that we stand by it. We do really appreciate your feedback. Um, some of the stuff, like we have a business to run, so yeah. yes, some of the stuff that you might think works for you and and whatever, and so you're gonna have your opinion. So we're not gonna fold for everything, but. For sure, there's some things that in the scheme of things, we may have made a mistake. There might have been another reason for it, um, but we appreciate the feedback. We always want to do better, um, and, you know, that's that's part of it. And as you know, Gino, and we all know, there are some trolls on Twitter. Oh, yeah. Sometimes you engage with, sometimes you don't. But overall, I mean, we can't thank our players, um, the people that have been following along with us from the beginning. The support has been tremendous. It's just been super wonderful to grow kind of our product along with them and i can't thank them enough and you you've been here since the beginning um to see to see what it was before to see where it is now and just know that we are constantly trying to improve and make a better product and that takes time um that takes effort and sometimes mistakes are are made along the way but for the most part i mean we have we do have a product that we believe is tremendous we have a great team behind it and we're excited that players love it yeah, it's been there's just a, a nice buzz about it now. People were demanding and asking for more contests earlier in the week on Mondays and Tuesdays. That's something that's, that's been able to happen. So before we get into what's going to happen this week or maybe in the future, what do you say when you explain this to some to one of your friends or maybe somebody who doesn't know racing? What do you tell them? What is Stable Duel? So Stable Duel is a horse racing contest where you would select 10 horses to be in your stable that you get to name. You select those 10 horses based off of one day of racing at a select track, and then you compete against others, and you talk shit, and you hopefully win money. That is great. No, it, it really is. And, and yeah, it, it, you're based on the salary cap format, which we've seen on like a lot of DFS sites. So you're not, you're not in a situation where you can just pick the favorite in every single race. You're forced to do a little strategy. And, and that's what you, we've seen with, with different players who have different strategies and, and, you know, some will try something out. It win it works for them. They win a contest, they finish well, and, and they're going to kind of latch onto that strategy for a little while. So let's get a, a little specific now. What What is really cool too is you could see, 
the more tracks that you guys have continued to add. And this week, we're recording this early on Tuesday. It's going to be out Tuesday uh, night. There was a Lone Star series this week, which was a really cool idea. And it was offered in a four-day series where there were, in addition to all of the normal cash prizes, there were um, shirts and swag given out to the top three finishers of each contest from Lone Star. There was also a little beat the handicapper bonus if you were able to um, play all four days and each of your entries that beat a handicapper out there from the uh, the Redboard Rewind podcast would would be able to qualify for uh, you know someone to win an extra two hundred and fifty. So that was a cool idea. So it seems like more tracks are getting on board, and the last few weeks have been have been really exciting. There have been double digit tracks that we've had on there. Yeah, yeah. So we, I mean, the Lone Star Civil Standoff series has been awesome. And and I can't think because Lone Star jumped on board for this. And that's part of it. We want to work with the racetracks. Um, and they were awesome to jump on board with this. So, yeah, we've got Lone Star Swag. We're sending out to the top three finishers. Um, it's their closing week. So we're kind of trying to, like, send them off with a bang and also with us. And, and players have been super receptive to it and having a good time. And kind of the Beat the Pro part of that is, love social media and engaging with players and like the premise of stable duel is that social aspect that sometimes you miss when you're just betting in a regular adw and also the other side is you're playing stable duel you're probably betting on the side so you can still have those win play show bets the pick five tickets especially if you're handicapping the whole card for the stable duel game so it's just a really nice um social side that has happened with lone star for these four days but yeah we've got um golf stream coming this week emerald coming this week ellis has super been fun we had a player that asked for ellis early on originally we weren't going to carry um too many ellis games but it was asked for and it's you know, your wishes are command if we can do it um, and the tracks on board. And then, of course, Delmar um, is our big track as well on um, this weekend. And we're actually changing it up. So we have got requests for bigger dollar entries and bigger dollar games. Um, so we are going to do a $100 buy-in, $1,000 winner takes all. So it's $100 to get in and that one winner is going to win $1,000. So that's happening on Saturday and Sunday at Delmar. And then we're also doing top tens payouts, and that will start on Friday at Del Mar. So it's a ten dollar top ten. We only pay out to the top ten position, so the payouts are higher. Um, you know, still lower entry at ten dollars, but yeah, we we thought that we would try kind of giving a bigger chunk to uh, the top ten than going all the way down. But we still have our same model where I'm um, in the LS competitions. You know, you could be in the twentieth position and, and have some money coming your way. So. Exciting week. Um, we probably are actually adding one more game on there too. Um, for a Twitter personality wants to call it out and see if you can beat him. So stay tuned for that. That might be on Friday. And um I think that's gonna be a twenty-five dollar entry with a thousand dollar guarantee. Um, but I fully expect a crap load of shit talking on Twitter with this individual. So I am so excited. <laughs> nice. And and yeah. what's great is now. It's 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 just like a little trial and error, right? It's just trying some things out that okay, this this works, or hey, we get the feedback. Let's some people want to play, just like you said, some people want to play in some of the bigger ones, or want want to play in some of the ones where it's winner take all. It's fun. It's just some different options for everyone. So doing the best to appease all of the different players out there for all different sizes. 
So let's talk about something that I've seen mentioned a little bit. I'm not even sure, um, you know, and any specifics about it, but we see this annual leaderboard at the beginning when we sign in. And I've read that there's going to be some sort of competition down the line with the, the folks on the annual leaderboard. I think the top hundred or something like that. What is the, the tentative plan for that? Much. The more you play, the more you win. So any points that you gain in your contest that you play, negatives do not count. So if unfortunately you flunked on a contest and you ended up with a negative, don't worry. It's not going to take out any money from your annual leaderboard. But so those points will move you up. And at the end of the year, so we're just doing the calendar year. So December 31st, the year is over. So whatever you gained there will put you on the annual leaderboard. Or if you are in the top 100, we are going to have a massive big money game, probably in January, um, maybe on a specifically big day. We just need to figure it out. Um, we think we know a day, but if we say it, <laughs> it just <laughs> it, it, it away. Yeah. <laughs> so, but it'll be a close game for those 100, 100 players only. Um, they get a free entry into the game. And then they compete for big dollars. And it's just really a thank you for, you know, your support of Steeldool the whole year. And, you know, you, you played a bunch and here's your additional way to win some big money and, and kind of be recognized, you know. So tell us a little bit about the Stable Duel referral program that's out there also. So actually, it's funny that you bring that up. We are just making a tweak to this. So we had a referral program when we did a huge promotional um, competition at Breeders' Cup last year. And and all it was was it was like if you invite your friends and they sign up, and really it was an email list at that point, like we'll send you swag. Um, we recently have just decided to drop that because we're going to change and do a different kind of almost like cash referral that if nice. you bring – you know, players to us, you'll get money in return. Um, at this point, that's if anybody seriously who's listening to this thinks that they can bring me 25 players, um, shoot me an email because I will get you set up. But at this point, it's kind of more of a like, um, we'll, we'll see if anybody wants to get involved and, and do it that way. And I'm working on another referral program. But yeah, I mean, if nice. If you all get your friends involved, obviously we'll send you a thank you. We, you know, if you want a T-shirt for bringing ten players into the game, I, you know, just hit me up. We'll hook you up. Awesome, and and there is a new podcast out there, the Chicks with Chicks <laughs> podcast that I've heard a little bit about. Uh, listened to it before. You guys have a fun time. You talk some races. You talk some trash. You have some fun. You, you give us the stable duel info. So uh, give us all the the goods and and the rundown on that. Has been out for four episodes now, I think. Um, and Leah England, who is actually sitting in the office with me right now, she was enjoying a happy belated birthday. birthday. Oh, there you go. You get Gino's birthday. He said happy belated birthday. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, she had a big night out at Jeff Ruiz, and then we took her out for a car bomb the night before. So we, nice. we tried to make it. Yep. Um, but yeah, we have a blast together. Uh, I would say she is a better handicapper than I am. I like to dabble and have a good time. And she walks in there with like statistics out the wazoo and like this <laughs> insider information. So definitely listen to her picks over mine coming from my, you know, funny statements here and there. But yeah, we, we like to have fun on the podcast. We like to talk about like things that are happening on social media. Um, something was just referenced about ownership groups. So we're going to talk about that. Um, she actually worked for my racehorse for a little while. I worked for Team Valor. 
we kind of understand the model and it's easy for, you know, obviously obvious people to have opinions and we like to talk about opinions on Chicks with Picks. So it's all fun. We like to just cover kind of the fun, like drama, the gossip, but then obviously make some picks and, and we've got plenty of our own stories. So that's really all it's about. And obviously some stables will put stuff in there too. Before we let you go, is there anything else uh, about Stable Duel or uh, anything that we forgot about hitting that you want to bring up? I don't think so. I'm just so excited for people to get involved and play and interact on Twitter and Facebook. And I actually was not even a big tweeter if you were a pre-Stable Duel, but ever since significant other probably hates me because i pretty much just live on <laughs> that's what i am too i get it I get, oh yeah yeah so just honestly hit us up like follow us at stable duel follow gino i know that you already are um and listen to gino's picks for sure he's he's been like playing stable duel since the beginning so if anybody understands the game it's this guy oh thank you thank you i love it i have a lot of fun and like i said it's it's a lot of fun interacting with your team you've always been uh been really cool if i've had any questions it's just boom i ask you and then i'm able to to tell it right back to the audience so it it, it makes it, it makes it so nice because i can explain it and i can uh, i can help everybody get involved brie we love stable duel we love the team over there thank you for coming on that's what g said we look forward to bringing you back and maybe we'll bring you back one time in a few weeks and we can go through a lineup and uh, you can give some of your thoughts and we can both uh, make our picks for uh, for one of the contests. Yes, I would love that. We, we legally aren't allowed to play, but I want to act if I could play. So I would absolutely love that. Okay, you can play analyst. You can put your analyst cap on for uh, for a day. We can go through the lineup. So awesome, Bree. Thank you so much. And before we uh, we let you go, just give us your plugs one more time. Where can we follow you and where can we follow Stable Duel on social media? Um, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. We have a TikTok. It's uh, scarce that we get the boys to do anything super fun, but they actually <laughs> had their first horseback riding lesson. So that will that Okay. Will be this needs to be documented for sure. Yes. Oh, oh, it was. Leah was there with camera in hand. So, and then, I mean, follow me at Bremont if you want to interact. And yeah, thanks for, thanks for your support of Stable Duel at all times. We love that you guys are playing. Folks, don't go anywhere. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. And you know you're going to hear a lot more about Stable Duel on That's What G Said. That is Bree Mott. Awesome interview with Bree. Thank you, Bree. Folks, stay tuned to That's What G Said. A big thank you to Bree for talking some Stable Duel with us and uh, some nice things to look forward to. And while we're talking Stable Duel, let's do a little lineup analysis for Wednesday August the 12th over at Lone Star. It's the final day of the Lone Star series. Hope you've been playing the first few days. If you haven't, if you play in this one on Wednesday, if you finish in the top three, you'll not only win the normal prize money that you win, but you'll also get some swag from Lone Star, t-shirts, hats, things like that. So make sure to, to, if you haven't played before, you just heard Bree explain it a little bit. I'm going to go through the lineup right now and tell you some of the horses that I think you could use in each race. It's very simple. It's only five bucks. Now is the perfect time to, to give it a shot. So let's go to Lone Star for race number one. There are a, a couple horses I'm looking at. I think the the three, the perfect samurai, who's only 750. The seven robo is 8,000 if you want to spend up a little bit more. But what I am in race number one is I'm against the four Uncle Artie, who's your $9,200 favorite on the morning line. The three perfect samurai, I just wonder if he can sit. He had some trouble last time out going a mile and an eighth on the turf. He's going to be 
forwardly placed. He sat when he sprinted, but will he be able to sit going long in here? I think he's going to be involved throughout and give you a really good run for your money. So I'm going to use the three, the perfect samurai. If you want to send, um, spend up a little more, I would prefer Robo, who's lightly raced, who's going to go first off the claim for a new barn now, and is going to stretch out for new connections after some good competitive efforts on the grass sprinting. Now tries going long on the green. So three, the perfect samurai. At 750, 7 Robo at 8,000. But I'm against the number four, Uncle Artie, who is 9,200, and I do not want to spend up on, uh, on, on that one. So in race number two, I think we go with the entry. In these contests, if you look at entries and make sure they're both running, especially when you, once you check the scratches um, on Wednesday, you, you have to use any entries that use logic that look logical. Because you only need one of the two to run well, they'll you'll use the top placing of which of half of the entry you have. It just gives you two for one action, especially when they're horses that complement each other with running styles. Now, in this second race, you have a couple of first time starters here for Dallas Keen. You have the one Triple Happy, and you have the one A Hoping Jitterbug. I'm okay with spending up in this spot. Because it's 8500 but you get the two-for-one action here. There are no monsters in this group, and they both look very well-meant. I think either of them could win this race easily. If you're looking for others in here, it would be the four and the five. Lady Loot, who does have the experience, and at seven furlongs, that might be key for horses like the four Lady Loot and the five Pretty in Pink, who's actually going to be cutting back from a mile to seven furlongs, so... The 1A I would prefer at 8500 But the 4 Lady Loot at 5000 Or the 5 Pretty in Pink At 8000 if you can't quite afford To spend on uh, on the entry there So in race number 3 I would Look to I don't have a problem With the 1 end zone So if you can afford him sure I just won't be using end zone I'm going to be building around the 8 In here Venture fourth. I like this horse quite a bit in this spot. So early on in his career, he debuted and he tried a, a little bit tougher. And you can see he has some physical issues because he went to the bench back in December of 2018, put a line through that last race because he was off from December of 2018 to June of 2020. He came back and he wasn't a bad fourth on June the 22nd off of that really long layoff. And then in his second start off the ver- off that long layoff, he took a nice step forward. He should have some pace to chase. Because Endzone, Rancho uh, Rancho, and Dawn's Final Final all look like they're going to be forwardly placed and showing some speed Third start off the long layoff, he gets the pace to run at I think he gets a great, great trip in here That's the number 8, Venture 4th, who will cost you 7000 4 to 1 on the morning line I'm going to build around that one If you don't want to spend in this race, if you're looking for maybe a, a real bust out long shot The blinker's coming on Rama who is dropping for Asmussen, but Elliot keeps the faith, and you're gonna go third off the short layoff now. I just I think there's a little bit more than what we've seen with uh, with Rama, who is a massive price and would only cost you 500 bucks off of your salary cap there in the third. So in race number four, I'm okay with spending up on the one uh, secular stagnation in here, coming off of a good win on the turf, going a mile and a sixteenth. Now turns back to seven and a half. This guy debuted on the turf at Saratoga Against Maiden 40s and was a really good second So his turf form has been excellent They tried him on the dirt over at Oakland a bunch of times Tried him on the t- on, uh, race at Lone Star That actually got taken off the grass and kept him in But he just wants grass 
<laughs> Smoke them if you got them Secular stagnation So at 8,000 I'm okay with spending up here If you don't want to The 9 and the 10 would be others that I look to Something super or metro pool Or wild cards You know, you have a couple horses that are going to be going first off the claim For new connections Something super and, and for both of them they're going to try the grass for the first time And metro pool is also a first time gelding So I would be using the 1 but if you can't afford to spend up The 9 and the 10 I think are fine options For uh, for much, much less In race number 5 Let's go with the entry You got the one young Philip And the uh, the 1A senior Jobum And I have to imagine that where young Philip is placed he'll From the rail Where he's drawn He's probably going to have to show a little bit more speed So he doesn't get shuffled So he... I think he's going and I think senior Jobum is going to sit off a little He's had legitimate trouble in his last few He's coming out of some of the tougher races And I think this entry is going to be pretty tough in here The 5 would be the other one That I look to, Shifty Henry So You know if you don't want to get the 2 for 1 With horses who I think both could win Maybe Shifty Henry Who at a massive massive price He comes out of some races at, at you know his Sam Houston, his Lone Star race last time. I think he needed the race. I'm giving him a, an opportunity because it was in the slot. It was in the mud. The Sam Houston races are sneaky. He faced some some decent horses down there and ran pretty well. I think there's a little bit more to Shifty Henry here if he gets a, a, a fast track. So, hey, maybe throw him in in some of your exotics too if you're if you're playing these races more than just from a, a stable duel. But he'd only cost you 500. That entry would cost you 7,000. Those will be the two I'll play different lineups with. In race number six, um, I'm looking at a few. Uh, I'm okay with the six Symphony Hall. The blinkers are going to come on, and Symphony Hall just didn't show a whole ton last time coming in from Oakland Park for Diodoro on the drop. But the fact that they are actually going to step him up a little, step her up a little bit, add the blinks, second time off a short little break. I think she's going to be right in the mix, and and she would cost you sixty five hundred. The eight Brucasa at five thousand. Loves minor awards, but in a situation like this, that's not bad. You know she's going to come running and she'll put up a good effort. And she's probably more of like a grinder who will plod along from the outside. The two big tiny will be another who will come closing. I, I'm against the one, Catherine Pass, who just is taking a drop in class, but she didn't run well in her last couple. Now she draws the inside. I think she might be. Unless she can break really well from the rail and get the lead She could get shuffled a little bit and be in some trouble And I think Symphony Hall is going to be going with the blinkers on Expect more speed from her So I'm against Casterin Pass in here This one is a race where I'd prefer the 6 The Symphony Hall at 6,500 The 8 Brucasa at 5,000 Or Big Tiny at 7,500 Versus 8,500 on uh, on Casterin Pass So in race number 7 Now remember, in this particular contest you have to fill with 10 spots But there are 11 races So you don't have to pick a horse in every race I would recommend I always recommend doing that in, in, you know, If it's a contest that has 10 races at least You want to spread yourself out And give yourself the max opportunity For the, the most points possible In race number 7 I think this is another good spot For the entry here of Roaring Rule And Ghostly Who, uh, Ghostly Who. These two, both of them could very easily win this race um, Roaring Rule or Ghostly Who You get the great two for one action for Diodoro So this, you know, some races Are worth spending up, other races Are not worth it for me Any and These races where you, you get logical Horses and you're going to get an extra Two for one shot I'm always going to take those entries So keep in mind too, 
you know, I'm doing this on Tuesday, so if if some of these entries do scratch, then maybe your your perspective of the race changes depending on which part of these entries scratch. But so far, on these entries that we've had, I think three of them, they actually all look like both parts of the entry could win the races, which you know obviously the the better entries that you want to play in a, in a contest like this. So we get to race number eight, and I'm gonna look at the ten in here. To me. Shrule's ready really does seem to tower over this field And I think she's an absolute standout So It's It's the the 10 Shrule's ready It's 7,000 for me in here Um, Others that I would look to The 7 Vericiano This is a maiden who ran well last time out Was DQ'd after finishing 2nd And placed 4th why would they put this horse in for a first level allowance? This is Asmussen. This isn't some small barn trainer. They know where these horses fit. Seems a little weird. They go in for a, a first level allowance here as a maiden. He has a good gauge of, of you know the levels of horses, so he must think there's a little something here. I've always been a little bit of a fan of uh, the 11 Mula Wild. And Elliot shows up on this guy. His debut race on the grass was good, so I chased him a couple times at Sam Houston, and he just he, he showed nothing. But he perked up with the win last time out And, and maybe he, He's you know finally figured things out Maybe it just, it just took a little while for him So Mula Wild if you if you don't feel like spending You can get Mula Wild for only 50 bucks Vasariano For 750 But I'm going to spend And I'm going to get Shrill's ready at 7000 After in race 7 Spending up on the 8500 On the entry uh, there So you get the 2 for 1 in race 7 And then we'll we'll key in on a horse a lot With Shrules ready in race number 8 In the ninth race I like Sixto In here at 7,000 He's going to put the blinkers on He changed barns And ran very well In his first start here at Lone Star Now he adds the blinkers He's going to be a little bit tighter He's going to stretch out This is a horse who I liked after his debut win And then he Tried the Gotham, he ran into Mischievous Alex and, uh, and Untitled He ran into Pneumatic and Captain Bombastic In a tough race at Oakland Park in April I think this is a great spot For Sixto to take one more step forward And improve, he is the play For me, Sixto will cost you 7000 off your lineup, the other one I would look at would be Frau Moro The 5 in here So uh, Frau Moro at 8500 Or Sixto at 7000 I would prefer Sixto who's a little cheaper in the 10th race Another spot where it looks like You get a a, a short field And an, an entry that You know you, you want if you're going to get Two for one in this field of five With Nomazar and with Rizzi's Honors I'm okay with playing against Mount Brave uh, I, I'm not sure if six furlongs On the dirt right now Is what he wants I do like the draw But there's other speed in here I don't know if he's, he's best sitting He's best when he can clear a field And with the quick horse like Tashiara with uh, you know wishful quality, I expect to show some speed too. I don't know if it's going to be that easy for Mount Brave. Maybe even Rizzi's Honors, if you, you know one of the entries sits and, and Nomazar uh, Nomazar sits and Rizzi's Honors decide to go. So let's use the one with the entry, the three wishful quality. Those will be the two I look at in race ten at Lone Star. And then to close things out, the four Lady Gwen was a uh, was a must use here off of. You know, just missed last time out going a mile Has been very consistent on the grass Overall and Lady Gwen 
you know, just a super logical contender. The one to beat, Lily Dell from the outside. I'm concerned that there's some other speed in here, but if you can afford to, to use this one, you know, to close things out, go for it. I'd prefer the four Lady Gwen. So that is Stable Duel Wednesday. It only costs you five bucks to get into this contest. Give it a try if you never have. If you have any questions, let me know. We just went through it's it's a salary cap. You have a fifty thousand dollar salary cap. You have ten spots that you have to fill. So if you pick one horse in in the race that's ten thousand, you only have forty thousand for your next nine spots. You have to divvy that salary cap up the best that you can in each race. You'll get points when your horses run first, second, third, fourth, fifth. You get additional points when your horses um, win by extra lengths. You get subtracted when your horses don't finish in those top positions or when they finish well, well beaten. So. You check out all the fine print. If you have any questions, let me know. Another fun contest, another fun stable duel Wednesday. So on Wednesday at Stable Duel, there's actually a contest at Emerald Downs, and there's uh, the contest here at Lone Star that we just discussed. Good luck. Let's talk some Wednesday racing from Saratoga. We'll get to race number two in that early pick five sequence. So the I'll be using the one, two, and five in here. I think tis he the one first, you know, off the claim for maker. Very, very logical from the inside. I think you know, two starts back, you're facing frenzy fire and some tough company, and probably just needed the race and should improve. The rail draw concerns me a little bit. My top selection is actually going to be Dinar, who missed the break and then angled five wide early. It was just not a great trip, and he. He's coming out of a race that's actually come back live And Trebit Hart has come back to win For 50 And I think this is a good spot for dinner Third start off the uh, the short break So we'll use the two horse Make a win wager if you get anything around 4-1 to one, Along with Tiz the 1 And along with Strike That to the outside Who is drawn well to use his versatility He might be the fastest in here But he can sit He's going to go second off that 3 month break So it'll be 2-5-1 for me To kick off that pick 5 We'll use 1-2-5 and five in race number 2 And I'm just going to buy race number 3 I'm just going to go all You know, you start looking through this field Fluid and sarcasm looks like the one to catch Money in the bank looks probably like the one to beat But then You, know, you look at Victory Built Who... Is going to go first start off the claim And wouldn't shock me in a race that's not the strongest I think Daring Disguise you know, Is a little bit interesting A big player Snappy Cat, there's not a ton of speed in this race Snappy Cat could end up sitting in a really good spot Adding the blinkers Cutting back a little bit I'm just going to buy the race So we'll just use all, it's a field of 8 We're going to use them all in race number 3 in race number four, we'll uh, we'll use three horses in here. It'll be two, four, and seven. I have them ordered four, two, seven. I like Dirty Bird. She can come running. Last out, she was fifth, sixth. She was about six lengths off. She moved well late in between horses. She's sort of grindy, but she gets off the rail. This is not a strong group, but she should have a, a, a little more late punch at six furlongs. She was behind a horse named Stay Fond, who has won four of the last five and is really, really sharp. I think Dirty Bird at a big price is not facing any monsters in here. But we're going to use Dirty Bird along with a couple others. It'll be the uh, the 7, who's the obvious one to be. It's just I hate this when you claim a horse for 20,000 and you're immediately dropping him in for 125, but in this particular situation, if you w- you get the purse and the 125 uh, for the claiming tag, you're actually getting out and you're actually still still able to turn a, a slight profit here on a on a quick Little claim, so 
Maybe, you know, Radiant Rhythm isn't the horse that I completely dismiss. We'll also look at the uh, the, the two Fair Lassie, who should be sitting close throughout. Uh, I think last time, she, she's got a little more speed than, than she showed in her last couple starts. I'm expecting them to get a little more aggressive. Uh, you're going to get a good a good upgrade with Gaffleone jumping aboard. So this will be a 2-4-7. I have them stacked 4-7-2 in that order. In race number 5... Pretty logical in this one Digital software, you know, is going to take a lot of money But on the drop, he's going to be tough If he just runs the same type of race he's been running He's going to win this I think Freedom Force with the pace He is probably the most interesting one to me He was facing Florida Breads I mean, this isn't a group of monsters He's facing Open and he's dropping in for Maiden 75 The other one would be Gunman Who... Was was fine in his debut, and this is a homebred, so they can you know feel okay putting him in for seventy five thousand. One a three seven, nothing crazy in here. Wool single in race number six to end the pick five with eloquent speaker, who to me just looks like an absolute standout. She went down to her nose at the start of her last race, but she recovered up to get the lead. She opened up. Two lengths going a mile and an eighth And she just got tired She's going to cut back to six furlongs She's one going six furlongs She has the tactical style now To sit off and pass horses She's proven she can do that I think she's going to be really really tough in here So I would just single her at the back end of one pick five And single her at the start of the other pick five Which starts in race number six And it's funny Sort of a, a similar type ticket Even though I don't really have a a template for how we play every day, right? I mean, it's not. I'm not the type of person who's. I have to have two singles, and I'm going to go three by three by three, and then single. It's just every ticket's different based on the sequence. These two seem to be pretty similar because I'm going to do all again in race number seven. I'm just going to buy the race mile on the turf. It's a field of twelve. I just can't get a good feel for this group. I'm buying the race, so we're going to single with the seven, and then we go all in race number. Uh, single with the 7 in race number 6 And then we're going to go all in race number 7 With the 12 horses uh, in that field In race number 8 we'll be using 3 I think Live Your Beast Life Is going to be in a really really good spot Either on the lead or sitting very close Throughout Candy Tycoon's probably the one to beat He's coming out of the Peter Pan Country Grammar in, in Karakoro Came back to run in the Travers Karakoro actually ran pretty well I, he, he's he's the one to beat He's just his own worst enemy He breaks poorly quite a bit He's gotten himself into some trouble But if things go well for him on his A game He's probably the best horse in this race And Unrighteous would be the other one I take a look at Blinker's coming off Unrighteous Another one who's a little bit quirky But he, maybe the Blinker's coming off now He, he has the opportunity to put himself in a really, really nice spot And I distance shouldn't be a problem for him He feels like he can run all day Three, two, five. Three, seven, five. Three, seven, five. In race number eight, um, live your beast life, Candy Tycoon, and Unrighteous. I have them stacked in that order. Three, seven, five. In race number nine, it's uh, the Grade Two Adirondack, six furlongs, two-year-old fillies. 
Nothing real crazy or outside the box I'll just be using Thoughtfully and Lucifer's Lair I did think Lucifer's Lair who showed speed And she sat just off the leader And she went by when asked Was pretty impressive for a 2 year old filly Pretty push button A lot of times you see them just break like a rocket And go to the lead She was able to sit off and, and finish which I like I like the fact that with her speed She's drawn well towards the outside So I'll be using Thoughtfully and Lucifer's Lair The 4 and the 5 to close things out in the ra- in the 10th race in that pick 5 at Saratoga, I'm going to go 3 deep. We'll use the 6, 7, and the 8 in here. So, Aggravation will be my top selection. She got a good education in her return to the races. She debuted in May of 2019, and then she didn't race till July of 2020. She came back, just kind of ran around. Now she's going to go second start off the long layoff, and there's plenty of time for her to recover from that July 4th race She's had over a month now I think Aggravation is a must use in here I'll be using along with Gringotts Who's going to come running late And Deeply Analytical Blinks on for this one Who flashed speed against Better Now in the uh, Abreu barn 7, 6, 8 We'll use 6, 7, 8 To close things out at Saratoga Late pick 5 7, a single in race number six with all in race number seven with three five seven with four five with six seven eight. That is Wednesday over at Saratoga. Now let's talk some Wednesday over at Canterbury with Brian Aragoni on track handicapper there. You've heard Brian on that's what she said a few times. We go through the Wednesday pick five at Canterbury, just ten percent takeout on that. Enjoy. Getting ready for another big week of racing out at Canterbury Recording this uh, on Tuesday Talking with Brian Aragoni from Canterbury On Tracked Analyst Brian, it's only been a few weeks since we've talked last But hey, we got some NHL back We got some baseball back We got some uh, basketball back So everything's seemingly in the world Starting to come back Some of the major sports We've got uh, a few weeks now To look forward to the Kentucky Derby So from just a big picture of sports Things have changed a little bit in just the, the last few weeks since we talked. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. Uh, we kind of went from zero to 100. Anytime you turn yeah. on the TV now, you can watch baseball, hockey. You know, Football seems to be revving up, at least for the NFL. But one thing that appears to stay the same is the handle for horse racing is yeah. relatively the same. Mm-hmm. And and horse racing has continued to perform well This is a good time in uh, the summer with the big meets And Canterbury is held strong This is one track that I'm always going to be giving a, a good portion of my bankroll each week Because of that low takeout pick five We talk about it all the time Even the low, even the, the pick five sequences that don't feel like they're going to pay that well You're going to get a little bonus because of that low takeout So we're going to jump right into them And because uh, we're recording this Early enough in the week, we can hit you up for both Wednesday and Thursday pick five. So let's get over to Wednesday right away, and we'll jump into that pick five sequence for Wednesday. We'll go through the card, kind of tell you uh, through the pick five, and kind of tell you how we feel each race. And Wednesday's pick five, get your past performances out for August the twelfth. This one's or, uh, August the twelfth. This one's going to start in race number five, and that's where your pick five begins. So, Ryan, in this one, we got a, a group of Phillies and Mares. These are Minnesota breads. They're going to go a mile here. And, I, you know, the way this race shapes up, it's interesting. There doesn't seem like there's a ton of speed in here. So, I mean, the one from the inside, you'd have, you'd have to imagine, is probably going to go stretching out. Hunter's Hellcat comes off of a, a big win most recently when dropping in for the maiden claiming tag. You look towards the outside, a couple horses who... 
they've had some trouble and could improve in here. Where do you where do you start in this fifth? I mean, based on Wednesday and Thursday with the pick fives, I think Wednesday probably looks a little bit more juicy, could potentially pay a little bit higher. But, you know, with what we've seen, when it looks like it might chalk out, sometimes it pays quite a bit. Last mm-hmm. week, we didn't have the biggest fields. Thursday paid over $70,000, and we really had about an average field size around six and a half on Thursday, and it still paid huge. And I think Wednesday a good day to dive in. Not as excited about Thursday personally, but Wednesday in race number one, this uh, race number five, I like the horse quite a bit, not only for a play in the pick five, but also for a win wager. Hanalei's son is a replay mm-hmm. horse that uh, I've identified had an absolutely horrendous trip last time out. The decisions that were made uh, were poor. There's really no other way to put about put it. It was off slow, kind of rushed up in between, and then faded late. Lost by 10 lengths, but if you watch the replay at the 16th pole, was still in with a shot, may have even had an opportunity to win. Hanalei's son... Uh, for me, is going to be one that I lean heavy on in a win wager and the pick five. But I will also use We Miss Burnsy, Hunter's Hellcat, and uh, Miss Comedy Time as well. One, two, seven, and eight for me, but I may be singling Hanalee's son on one ticket. Yeah, we're similar in here. Uh, Hanalee's son in that last race, just brutal trip, as you mentioned. And she's actually had legitimate trouble in a couple starts in a row, just not the greatest trips. Kind of like what you were saying, not just could have hit a different hole or could have made a slightly different decision. And so, Unlucky. Sometimes you, you wonder if a filly like this is just waiting for the right kind of opportunity to break through. This might be it for her. I'm with you. I think the inside two horses you probably want to use on your tickets. We miss Bernsey stretching out. Hunter's Hellcat off that big win. I'm going to throw in one more uh, sort of a price play. And, and that's Bird's View. Now, the reason why I, I use Bird's View is the only time she went long on the main track, she won. Now, it was a race where she got the lead. She was able to go very slow up front, and she was able to hold on that day. But I don't necessarily think she needs the lead. She might be able to sit in a spot where she can sort of fall into it. Maybe she's sitting third in here behind a horse like We Miss Burnsy. And if, if that one falters and doesn't want to go this long, perhaps Bird's View can get a, a little bit of a jump on some of the other closers. So I'm with you with the, uh, the one. One, two, seven. I'll throw the five in. You'll also include the eight. Miss comedy time on some tickets as we move to race number six, second leg of the sequence. I thought this race was very difficult. So for me, this one's going to be a spread out race because I'm. I just feel like I need to use many to be confident in here. I, I like this the seven heat flash a lot last time, and he just. He was a little farther back than I would have liked to see And he kind of loomed up But he, he did everything he he could Just kind of getting in touch with the field But I again, I have no strong opinion here This is going to be a spread out race for me Where do you start? Who are some of the horses that you need? Well, I know you and I are big uh, replay handicapping guys I feel rather confident with what I saw in the replays But what I don't feel confident in Is that any of them are going to return to that form <laughs> It's hard to trust them consistently Yeah, yeah. You know, I trust what I saw, and, I, you know, I feel confident about the replays that I saw, but I don't trust that they're going to perform that way again in here. I'm going to try some fresh faces, I guess. I've got Tyler's Tech, just the unknown mm-hmm. uh, for Clay Brinson with the blinkers on. I'm 1-3, 8 and 11. Uh, you know, at the last second, I started getting a little leery or cautious that I may want to go a little bit deeper, so I also threw in the four real loot. Like you, I'm somewhat confident, but I'm not sure I even have the right one. It feels like a race where someone could really jump up, but then it also feels like a race where it could go favorite over favorite, and you're wondering why you're six deep. Yeah, so, um, yeah, the eight with where's Jordan is not a win machine, but this is it. this feels like a really good spot for him on the on the drop in class. He should be right there. I thought the ten. I'm an eight. You know, the last time he was on turf, it was his first start. 
for a newborn and it was off a little bit of a break I think you can excuse that effort and if you look a couple starts back that form on the turf um, was was not very bad and that was probably good enough to compete with some of these I agree with you the inside couple horses the three Tyler's Tech with the blinks on um, I thought the one Irish major the two Teddy time even horses you could throw in so this is one of those races for me where you know based on how you're formulating your ticket I'm gonna Probably go very deep in here I was looking at, you know, 1, 2, 3, 7, 8, 10 You mentioned the 4 who I thought And the 11 who I've, I've used So, again, deep for me But that's fine if you if you can find the races later Where you want to shorten up and, and key in a little bit on And we'll find those as we get to race Now, where, where, did you, where did you see the pace coming from in that race? I mean, when Real Lou was in good form Back when, you know, he was winning races He, he showed pace, but suddenly an inability to be anywhere near the front. It looks potentially like a, a paceless race. Tyler's Tech with the blinkers on off of a layoff should be fresh, but a lot of those horses want to sit off the pace as well. Yeah, I, I'm, that's why I'm going to flop the 10 in on some tickets too. I wouldn't be shocked if just stretching back out from a sprint, if he's just sitting in a spot where not a lot of horses are. And like you said, in a race like this where these are horses that are, are not – Easy to trust and they're not the most Consistent horses they'll run a good effort and then They'll throw in two or three clunkers and then they'll come Back with a decent one I I like to have Horses who I know are going to be close That's what concerned me a little bit about Heat flash is that he can Sit a lot closer than he did last time out I just don't know why he was so far back You don't like to see it maybe they were Just going a little too quick and he was outrun and if They're not going as fast he can sit in a little Bit better spot but I agree with you that's that's What makes this race difficult it's just who, who's going to go? Is someone going to get aggressive and take the initiative? And if so, I hope we have them covered uh, because I, I just don't. Who, who's going to be the favorite in here? Do you think there's anybody that's going to be like an overwhelming favorite, or do you see the money spread out all around? No, I, I, I don't. I mean, Irish Major could go off as a favorite, but this is a cool race because yeah. not very often when you're, you're handicapping tracks all around the country, do you see $7,500 claimers getting the opportunity? To go a mile and a sixteenth on the turf, and, and as betters, I'm thankful for it as well because mm-hmm. it's a full field. Absolutely, it's it's just an opportunity in the when you write in the cards that that Canterbury has that other tracks no, they just don't give you low level lower level turf horses. And there's a lot of tr- horses that have good turf form, but they just can't quite compete at higher levels. This is a really good spot for them to show up. We move to race number seven. This is the start of your late pick three. We have ten thousand claimers in here, six and a half furlongs, the distance. I'd imagine. That summer revolution for Diodoro Going to take a good amount of money in here Coming off of those Churchill races and turning back People see Churchill a lot of time And that that takes money And he he didn't run poorly And, and I like this turn back from a mile to six and a half furlong So I guess either if you're using him Not using him, whatever He's one I think we have to at least start with the conversation Yeah, no, I agree I, there, There's a concern for me with that voided claim Last time out mm-hmm. 21st only comes back with with two works. So Summer Revolution is a horse that's a little bit of an unknown for me. I'm, I'm going to spread out in here. You're going to spread out in race number six. I'm spreading out in here. I don't trust Creative Art. He's one of my favorite horses. You know, he's a cool story, 10 years old, still going strong. But he's not getting the win. You know, he's still running well, but he's he really hasn't had any excuses the last couple of times. He's sitting in there at 7-2. to two, And then Summer Revolution, the avoided claim, you never really know as a gambler, taking money the last three times. You know, he's kind of an all-or-nothing horse. Um, I'm spreading out as deep as I can, you know, probably two, three, four, five, and seven. The seven draws my eye. Uh, Matt Williams, uh, not many people know, but he was actually the assistant to Diodoro for a long time. So whenever there's Matt Williams and Diodoro in the same race, uh, I'm usually looking for the higher of the two in the prices, especially 
where there's reason to believe uh, Summer Revolution may have seen better days in the past. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna be using four, five, and seven. So we're similar. You'll just use a few extras in here. Mine's made up is another one that I think is is really well spotted and likes Canterbury and just you know it comes out of some pretty strong productive races. And you look at some of the others in here. Mine's made up is probably coming out of some of the better. So four, five, seven for me. Similar thoughts on this seventh race at Canterbury as we move to the last two legs. Of the pick five sequence for Wednesday This one is a five furlong turf sprint It is a first level allowance in here uh, I like the cutback for the one Uncle Goyle from the inside Who went seven and a half furlongs last time out Probably just a little too far This horse has some speed, now gets back to five And if he can get break And get the lead or be close early He could be tough to pass He ran into Hotfoot a couple times in a row Hotfoot has won four races in a row So if, I think Uncle Goyle from the inside With some speed I'll probably end up using the eight uh, Trevor's call in a lot of spots too He broke well, he was just outside He ended up moving to the lead, he opened up two And he got caught late I think he'll be sitting a little more With the race under his belt, he won't be as fresh And he'll have that outside draw Uh, So I'm going to kind of build a lot of tickets around Those two I think in here for me One and eight, I'll probably use a couple others But I I do think the eight Gets gets a good trip yeah, Uncle Goyle, you know, you're, you're, you're telling me kind of that I'm not going to expect anywhere near that six to one price, unfortunately, uh, since we both got that one right on top. But that, that's the speed of the speed in here. Mm-hmm. I don't think anyone can run with Uncle Goyle that first quarter mile or, you know, the first two furlongs. I think Echoberry may be sitting on a loose lead up top. One thing I'll say about Canterbury is our turf course has been playing very favorable to speed, but it could potentially be a little bit misleading the last two weeks. We've had the turf rail set out at 30, and that has made it difficult for closers to come from the group, uh, from the back of the pack. Now the turf rail has been moved back to zero, um, so it may be playing more favorable to horses coming from off the pace, a little bit more room Good info. on those turns. But uh, Uncle Goyle looks like the one for me. I agree with, with the eight. You know, Gokro is a horse that gets challenged for class, but he's really done nothing wrong mm-hmm. by a head. Otherwise, he'd be a perfect four for four. On the turf, you know, that's a horse that I would throw on. Maybe take a stand against the street tiger at five to two. And then the horses that are always interesting are the ones like the six Mr. Not Funny, who are horses that are big purchases. They obviously have big plans for a horse like this. And then they take the big drop down in class and they win. And then somebody plucks them and thinks maybe they have a little bit of that class left. Kind of a wild card horse in the six Mr. Not Funny. Never really know if these horses can jump back up, but if he's got a little bit of, of, that left in him what he had from maybe uh, from 2019 or what they thought when thought when they paid 160 thousand for him he could get uh, get a trip in this race too but Uncle Goyle looks like the one they'll have to run down from the inside yeah so I'm I'm eight one I'll throw the six in in a few spots and maybe we can get a little separation even if we can get I don't know, like four seven to two that would be nice on Uncle Goyle four to one something like that from the inside we'll see yeah that's uh, the it, great thing about horse racing is you know the way you view the six is potentially. A diamond in the rough got a chance, and then I, I kind of view him a little differently. That if uh, you know an owner is willing to take a hundred fifty thousand dollar bath on a mm-hmm. horse, if he's done with it, I'm done with it. Yeah, uh, yeah. And not very often have we seen horses that leave big barns, whether it's Chad Brown or Bob Baffert or whoever, go somewhere else and, and potentially have success. Yeah, and the only time, um, and or for me, it's on a case by case basis a lot of the time, and and the major factor in that is price. You know, if, if if it's a horse in a race where they're going to be a short price, generally I'm I'm saying like you said, okay, you know, Baffert, Brown, Pletcher, they gave up on them. If it's a situation like this where this horse might be forgotten about a little bit and could be, you know, eight, ten to one, then that doesn't really bother me as much because 
for me Price is, price is really what matters here in this game And, and making some money So yeah, I, I'll take stands against the shorter ones like that But maybe maybe Mr. Not Funny will flop in one or two And I agree with you said with Go Crow he, he, I think You'll look at the $7,500 Claiming raises and the 4000 beaten Claiming there and maybe think he's a little cheap But sometimes remember there's not as Much depth for a horse like this to Kind of jump up when he gets sharp so He's not one that I want to completely dismiss either I, I completely agree. Go Crow, Chesterford class, but based on what he's done, it's tough to leave him out. Mm-hmm. Let's close things out in race number nine. We got Minnesota Red, 15 claimers, non winners of two. They're going to go a mile in here. And I don't love doing this, but I'm going to end with a chalky single. I think Runaway Flash is, is just going to be in a really good spot here. He had a fine start. He, he tracked back to sixth of seventh. He was in between. He was chasing a winner that was on the lead throughout. He got some room. He moved inside, and he then he had to kind of angle around. He had a wide tra- – I, I thought it was a good effort. He was clearly second best. And a lot of this, to me, comes down to I just don't love anybody else in here. I can see the, the cases made for the rail horse having some speed from the inside. But I think there are a couple speeds that probably end up setting it up nicely for Runaway Flash. Yeah, I certainly agree with Runaway Flash based on what he's done recently. Um, you know, I will say, being as close to the track as I am, that the jockey title means a lot to Arietta and Eckleberry. And these guys are battling it out. And, uh, you know, they're uh, it's in a healthy competition stage. Nice. I'll just put it that way. Cool, so, cool. The, the fact that Arietta hopped off a of Runaway Flash gave me a little bit of uh, pause or hesitation since he lands on you say so the horse kind of dueled all the way around it was not super fast fractions but for the level 23 and 1 47 and 2 is pretty quick and I thought that horse stayed on well so I'm gonna throw in you say so um, along with runaway flash and then Blaine Bishop kind of that unknown factor again uh, the horses ran better ran against better at Tampa now turf to dirt could certainly catch a piece at potentially a big price one, three, and four for me in the last. Yeah, so uh, overall on this Wednesday, pick five at, at Canterbury, I will play a ticket where I single in the end right there with Runaway Flash, and um, I can it'll give me the opportunity to spread out a little bit in races five and six. For me, that sixth race was the race. I didn't have as much of a strong opinion. For you, it felt like the seventh race was the race where you wanted to spread out a little bit more, and uh, I just wanted to mention... Toss in um, in that eighth race uh, The inside and the outside Those are the, the two horses that I like a lot One and eight Make sure to uh, to throw them on your pick five tickets Who are some of the horses that you you don't want folks to leave out of this sequence? Yeah, I mean, I think Hanalei's son is going to be a sneaky single mm-hmm. for me right away mm-hmm. Hopefully getting around that five to one You mentioned Uncle Goyle In that turf race, I just think it's so competitive uh, But what I'll say in race number seven It's a race to just try and get through you know, I, I really don't think Creative Art or Summer Revolution are going to pop it at low prices. I'd go deep and try and catch a price. And maybe if you're really feeling, uh, you know, uh, risky, I would certainly leave out the one and the five and try and catch a price. That is Wednesday, Canterbury with Brian. Brian, uh, tell the folks where we can find you, where we can follow you on social media before we get over to the Thursday. Uh, the picks are on our website every single day at CanterburyPark.com. We race Monday through Thursday at 430, and then I will try and post my picks. And not only my picks, but also a pick five video that we post every day called the Ergoni Angle. That's on Mr. B underscore CBY analyst uh, on Twitter. 
not only is Brian a sharp and good handicapper at Canterbury, he's a sharp handicapper all over the place, seeing the ball very, very well right now, too. So hoping it continues on this week at Canterbury. We're going to take a little pause right here, but if you want to hear more Thursday Canterbury, just tune a little bit later on into the show when we have the uh, the, race, uh, the Thursday racing section. So don't go anywhere, folks. More with Brian. We're going to talk Thursday Canterbury in just a bit. One of the sponsors of That's What G Said podcast is Cindy Carava, full-service realtor, and I am here over in Glendora at Coldwell Banker with Cindy Carava. Cindy, how was 2019 for you? Tell us uh, a little bit about what uh, what kind of stuff you were working on. Hi, Gino. Thanks for having me. Uh, 2019 was just really great. Uh, I had a great year uh, selling homes all the way from Altadena, Arcadia, Monrovia, out to Upland and Ontario just recently. Um, the market has, has been uh, really good. Um, we're looking forward to 2020 with an increase in home prices about 5.8% this year, opposed to last year where it was a little softer. We saw uh, more like homes averaging about 3.5% in increase in value. Um, it's also looking great for buyers. Uh, the interest rates right now are gonna be staying under 4%. So if you've been on the fence about thinking about buying a home, Home, now is the time to do so with interest rates still staying low. And you offer more services than just the buying, selling, and leasing homes. Tell us about some of the other services that you offer and what a full service realtor really is. So you're right, Gino. Besides me being uh, a full-service realtor of uh, finding properties for my clients to buy or selling their homes or finding rentals for them, um, I also have a plethora of resources like uh, handyman, contractors, electricians, plumbers. Uh, I even, if like I said, if you're thinking about getting a home loan, I actually work with two great lenders that I can recommend to anybody. And you're all over the internet, social media, websites. Let us know some of the places where we can find you. I know I've seen some reviews on Yelp and on Zillow. Everyone always has positive things to say. Everybody hears me raving about you all the time. But where can uh, everyone else find out information about you or contact? Thank you, Gino. Yeah, I am on Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn. Um, And uh, you can contact me on my website, which is www.cindycarava.com. Or my email, which is cindyc.realtor at gmail.com. Or feel free to call or text me on my cell phone, which is 626-394-6400. Cindy is awesome. She's one of the kindest and most genuine people I've ever met. I promise you, you will enjoy every minute you interact with her. So thank you very much, Cindy. Uh, Appreciate all of your support from That's What She Said podcast. Thank you, Gino. Have a great day, everyone. And a big thank you to Brian. He'll be back in just a few minutes talking some uh, Thursday. Canterbury Pick 5 with us. Let's get you over to Saratoga for Thursday. We're just going to talk early Pick 5 for Thursday at Saratoga. I just I didn't like the last part of the card, and there wasn't anything that I could sink my teeth into that felt worth discussing. So let's talk early Pick 5 sequence. And in race number 2 is where this thing starts. We're on August the 13th at Saratoga. Get those past performances out for Thursday. I'm going to use the 7 and the 8 just too. The 8's the one to beat. That's Malibu Luna, who was good in her debut. She was fine. She was only beating a couple lengths. She loomed up. She flattened out a little bit. Now she's going to cut back. I think she's the logical one to beat. The number 7 stretched the truth, though. She's got a nice little pedigree. Her dam was 1 for 4. The win did come on the grass. But she's produced 9 foals. 8 of them have been winners for a combined 1.5 million in earnings and over 21 wins. A couple of horses that we might know, Western Smoke, Grade 3 winner, one Lucky Dane, Grade 1 placed. 
This is a barn who's very capable with horses who have talent. They're two for 11 with two year old debut runners in dirt sprints in their recent races. That that fits seven and eight for me to kick off the pick five in race number two. I'll be pretty logical in race number three. I'll, I'll use the one Olden Don who's going to send hard from the rail. There's not a ton of speed in here. My top pick is the four lost ticket who got shuffled back and outrun a little bit early on. Was last of six chasing super slow fractions in a turf sprint. Angled out and, and closed well that day. She's improving. She's making her third start sprinting on the grass now. She just needs a little more pace to run at. I, I hope she gets it here. I'm just not positive she will. The two kittens cover girl on the cutback from a mile. If she's really close to the lead, she could be very tough to cut to uh, to run down, cutting back from a mile and seven furlongs in her last few. She's not been a win machine as of late, but in a race like this without a ton of speed, she should be sitting pretty close. X and Theeks, another one who cutting back from routes. She's not exactly sprint speedy, but she shouldn't be too far out of it. So uh, I'll be pretty logical in here. Four, two, one, five, one, two, four, five are the the four I use, and I'll, I'll use them in that order. Four, two, one, five. Throw them all in the pick five. Race number four is just a, a short field of six, and you know you start to make cases for, but really make cases against most in here. I'm just gonna press the all button. I'm gonna buy this race. It's a field of six. Let's just buy it uh, in race number four in the pick five. So in race number five, I'll take a swing against the horse who I think is going to be favored. I'm expecting Dream Chasing to take some money, and I'll play against this uh, Clement runner, even though this barn has been incredible. I'm just a little worried with the outside draw and with some other speed in here that she won't get the type of trip she needs. A couple others that I'll use. The two New York Supreme. She's going to try the grass for the first time. She is a turf-winning sib. She's going to drop in class. I think you could toss that last race. She had some legitimate trouble. So now she's going to go second time new barn, second off the bench, cuts back to five and a half, drops in class, tries the turf. There are a lot of positives, a lot of things, a lot of reasons why she can improve in here. She's so naughty, we'll try the grass. Her dam was unraced, but the lone sib that tried the grass won on it three times. And she's so naughty was good at the level against maiden 40s on the main. That was in the slop. She just has to improve a little bit off of that form to be in the mix with this group. Frenchie Frau Frau with the blinkers on on the cutback we will use. She was good two back sprinting, good in that she, you know, was on the scene late. Now with the blinkers on, maybe she doesn't have to be 50,000 lengths out of it. She can sit a little bit closer and you have Gaffleon jumping aboard. I'd imagine the the you know the plan would be get her involved a little bit more early on. And then to close out the pick 5, it's race number 6 and I'll use two in here. I think that it's a small field, but it still looks to me on paper as if Miss Marissa, Foxtail, and probably Risky Mandate all end up pushing each other, playing a little cat and mouse for the place. Risky Mandate will be stretching out, and you have Miss Marissa and Foxtail who have shown speed going long. I'm going to use the two horses who I think are going to be sitting off of what could be not a fast burning pace scenario, but in a small field, if three of them are hooking up and two of them are sitting, give me the sitters. And in off topics, the one to beat, if you just toss her last, she just never really got into it. She's multiple graded stakes placed. She's kind of grindy. At a mile and an eighth, she towers over this group at, at the trip. 
But I prefer Indy Union, who's now going to go third off the layoff, has no problem with the distance. She's going to get the setup in here. And, and she didn't run poorly last time out at Laurel. Two races back, she was behind Royal Flush, who had won three in a row and is graded place, uh, grade three placed, and behind Saracosa, who is multiple graded stakes placed. That wasn't a bad effort, and that was her first start in a few months. I think Indy Union is the one to play in here. So, the pick five will go 7-8. It starts in race number two. 7-8 with 1-2-4-5 with all, with 2 6 seven, with three five, and if you want to shorten it up in, in certain places, feel free. I mean, in, in the second race, if you want to single the chalk there, if you'd rather single the chalk in race number six, maybe you don't want to go all and you just want to use two or three instead of the all six in there. That's fine. Um, the horses who I would recommend to use on your tickets in race two, the seven stretch the truth, in race three, the four lost ticket, in race five, the two New York Supreme, and in race six, the number three Indy Union. That is Saratoga for Thursday for me. Let's get you over to Canterbury Thursday. Once again, Brian Aragoni joins us to talk the Canterbury Thursday low 10% takeout pick five. Thursday pick five at Canterbury. Brian Aragoni on That's What G Said with us. And get your past performances out. We're going to tune to race number five, August the 13th, and the 10% Takeout pick five starts right here And Brian, I think we were just discussing too A little bit off air We both felt a little more confident in the Wednesday cards And the Wednesday pick fives And just that it would be a little bit better sequence Than the Thursday one Which means that the Thursday tickets we talk about Will probably end up playing five grand Because we don't, <laughs> we're not as interested It just always seems like that's the, the way things work out um, Nonetheless, we got the fifth race to start things They'll go a mile, maiden special weights in here This isn't the strongest race in the world either To get things Started I mean the five into win Who comes in from Prairie Meadows But was well beaten in three races In a row um, I thought the two Causing mischief was was pretty Good last time out when the runner up took the lead And got nailed late but is going to have to stretch out From six to a mile uh, You got Levita who draws Arietta has no problem With the distance but she's got to prove it On the main track those are you know probably A few of the major contenders and the ones that are Going to take the most money in here who do you Need to get out of this first leg yeah, and talking about, you know, the Thursday card, it doesn't uh, overly excite me by any means, but I felt the same way last Thursday, and, you know, we had small fields, looked like it was going to chalk out all of a sudden, and it really only took one price in, in a six-horse field, paid $72,000. So uh, I'm not going <laughs> to overthink it again this Thursday because I was kicking myself last Thursday going four out of five uh, on a $72,000 pick five. So this, even though based on first glance, looks like it may not pay a lot. You know, we've seen it all year long that it's consistently paying more than what you would think it would. Um, in race number five, I'm going to kick it off with In to Win, Danny Caldwell, Ryan Echoberry. Not super exciting. It's not so much that I love the five. It's just more that the others are so unknown. Yeah. You've got horses going from the turf, two turns on the turf, synthetic from Arlington Park. Into win goes out for Danny Caldwell. And since he made the change to Oscar Flores, which I will say to the followers is really only a change in name. Oscar Flores is Villafranco's assistant. So it's a technicality, but it looks like on paper that since he made the switch, he's brilliant. All of a sudden Oscar Flores is sent four to the track and uh, you know, all four of them have hit the board and with multiple winners. So it's only a a change in title, I guess, but uh, the horses are running much better. So into win going to be a single for me. Yeah, I, I'm 
can't complain, uh, or I, I can't really you know, challenge you on that single. I'm going to use just a couple other logicals. The two, Cause and Mischief, who I mentioned had a little bit of a, a troubled trip, lost a few lengths, got shuffled from the inside, and then came all the way around and took the lead. I think she might just be an, a, an improving filly in a race that doesn't have much. And then the seven, I just, I know she likes the distance. I know she, she'll come running late. I just, don't know if she likes the dirt. I'll just throw the two, seven, and five in there. Those will be my three to get things started. And you're going to single right off the bat. In uh, in race number six, we get to the the turf. It's going to be Minnesota Red Maiden special weights going seven and a half furlongs on the turf course in here. You have it's always a, a weird a weird race when you have a, a lot of horses coming out of a, a same race. There were four of these that exit the July twentieth race that Caramel Angel ended up running third in, and. Carol Mean, that was the first time on the turf for Caramel Angel, for Silver Dash, for Musky Man, for Mr. D's Legend. And a couple of them are going to add the blinkers now. I mean, Carol Engine was right up on the lead, was pressing just off. I do think he ran pretty well in there. Um, maybe a couple horses to the outside that are wild cards trying to grasp for the first time. Where do you start in this sixth? I mean, you, you saw what I saw in the replay. It, it's tough to get around the three and the five. I mean, those mm-hmm. two were superior than the other two, but the only thing I'll add in, I'm going to use three and five, you know, depending on how my ticket shapes out and how the finances are and things. Maybe I throw a horse like Musky Man in. Six to one feels a little skinny on the morning line. I think this horse is going to go off at a much bigger price. It's never gone off below 20 to one. I did have this horse on top last time, and uh, the public handicapper, you put a 24 to one on top, and they run beaten by 17 lengths. It's not always the best feeling in the world, uh, but the horse is bred to love the turf. I mean, by one more strike, that damn was a monster on the turf course. So maybe second time over the turf. It's a confidence boost that the Hall of Fame rider, Dean Butler, sticks with the horse, you know, despite being beaten by a quarter mile on both the dirt try and the turf try. Potentially, Musky Man could jump up in a big way, but it looks difficult to get around the three and the five. Yeah, I'll have the five. I'll have the three. Two others that I I think um, could jump up: the seven Slim Chance, who's going to try the turf for the first time, and the Dam won her first start on the grass, and Walker's Memo, whose pops was a graded stakes winner on the turf. So I'm just looking at those two as horses who only raced once. They didn't show really anything on the main track, and maybe they can improve on the grass because they have a little turf pedigree in there. And that I guess in a race like this, all you really need is a little turf pedigree. Because I'm with you. Once you get Past Carmel Angel, Silver Dash Who loomed up into contention and adds The blink so if he can just be a little Closer he should be tough For me it'll probably be Three, five, seven, and eight, and combinations of those four in here. Um, three and five, maybe even on a press ticket And then throw the seven and eight in on another one or two If we can hope to get a little value there as uh, yeah, as we move to race Number seven we have Minnesota Breads $7,500 non-twos Traveling five furlongs in here. Where do you start in this one, Brian? Well, you know, I actually just excited that you say so lands in this spot because I was, as we were talking about our Wednesday pick five, uh, realizing how deep my ticket was going to be, and you say so was entered to run both Wednesday and Thursday. So you can scratch you say so out of the last in Wednesday because they will be running on Thursday uh, as a dual entry. But this is a, this is a competitive race. I thought this is a difficult race in here. Circle me, Bird has speed, foreign rumor. You say so. Not a ton of horses have shown the ability to come from off the pace. And even though it's five furlongs, you would think uh, yields to front runners. But we've seen they go incredibly fast that first quarter. And oftentimes these five furlong races, they fall apart a little bit. So I want to make sure I spread out in here. Three, five, six, seven, and eight for me. 
pretty similar. I think I'm going to play one ticket actually where I single the five, circle me bird. But I'm going to play another bigger, t- probably a big ticket where I'm going five, six, seven, and eight and using those those logicals. I I do see a race where circle me bird breaks on top and is able to clear the field and cutting back from six furlongs to five. He could be really tough to pass. Now, it's all going to come down to horses like foreign runners, foreign runner. Someone going to be quick enough is a horse like uh, either you know funky from the inside, wild desire. There are horses with a little bit of speed, but I do think if they ask Circle Me Burt and if Arietta gets aggressive, this could be a horse that could be real tough. So I'll play one ticket where I single the five. I'll play another where I'm five, six, seven, and eight. As we move to race number eight, if you can hear uh, little Milo screaming in the background right now, so uh, ap- apologies to that. And I think you know what that's like too with the the little one screaming. <laughs> screaming Absolutely, I've got Vinny at daycare. Fortunately, you know, Vinny <laughs> uh, daycare. I'll, I'll pay that bill all day long. <laughs> um, we move on to race number eight, the last two legs of this sequence. This is an interesting race. You have a seven and a half furlong race for horses who have never won on the turf and some horses who have run pretty well on the turf and a couple quality animals in here. You have, you know, Mr. Jägermeister, you have Mr. Banjo Man, horses who have earned a ton of money, even a horse from the inside like uh, Great Blake has run some some good races recently on the grass. I thought this is a fun condition for a race. I, I like it. Yeah, it's a condition you don't see very often. And if I'm able to get through races five and six where I'm singled by two, Hopefully can be in a position to catch some long shots here. I'm taking a stand against the Minnesota Jägermeister. He looks vulnerable to me. Hasn't been seen since Mm -hmm. June 17th. It's kind of a where you been because he's missed a couple of Minnesota stakes races, which is incredibly rare uh, for a horse of his caliber. And now comes back on the turf. I'd be a little bit surprised if he stays in this race. But, you know, the question is, why do you enter if you know you're coming out? Because it certainly wasn't to make the race go. You know, it's a race to spread out for me. Taking a stand against Yeg, but I don't want to be beat by him. One, two, four, five, six, and seven. I've got horses in there that I don't even really like, but I want to make sure that I get through it if, if we do beat a potential yeah. six to five or even money shot. Absolutely. That's the point. If your approach is beating don't like Mr. Jaegermeister, you got to make sure that you 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 hit this thing if, if Mr. Jaegermeister gets beat. And I'm taking a stand against him too. I'm just gonna be using the one, four, and six, though, a couple less than you, but I like uh, Great Blake. Quite a bit in here The only concern I have is the rail But it doesn't bother me as much at seven and a half furlongs He took back from the outside Last time out He was three deep going into the turn He ended up getting to the inside And then he was in between horses He was in some traffic with nowhere to go at the top of the lane He was just begging out for room He finally got a seam and he just missed And then two starts back He was behind the really sharp hot foot So I think he's going to be in a great spot Saves the ground from the inside um, I like Great Blake, Great Blake quite a bit in here So I'll be 1, 4, and 6 And I will probably play I always play multiple tickets I'll probably play 1 here where I single the 1 Great Blake 2 and maybe even uh, Get the opportunity to use all in a, in a Short field of 6 to close things out As we move to the Maiden $5,000 claimer Traveling a mile in race number 9 I don't think you need I, I don't Think it's a race where I need all but in a small Field in a race like this with maidens at the Bottom it would be nice to you'd Feel nice and comfy if you did have it um, An all button here I mean Probably for me the two that I look to the Most would be the one in the five I think the one whiskey for breakfast Probably going to send hard from the inside He got caught up involved in too quick of an early Pace going six and a half last time out And now stretching back to a mile He's he's probably the one to catch in here I'll start with him 
Yeah, I mean, whiskey for breakfast, it goes back to what we talked about on the Wednesday podcast. The, the connection's paid 150 now dangling that carrot yep. for five. And, and what's even more telling to me is that, you know, a lot of people are looking for $5,000 claimers. What maybe a $150,000 horse to someone is another person's $5,000 champion. You know what I mean? And so I'm, I'm a little surprised um, that no one's taken the, the carrot and now coming in off of 22 mm-hmm. length of feet. Um, I think trading up looks awfully tough in here. It's not anything sneaky or, mm-hmm. um, you know, compelling by any means. I'll single trading up on one ticket and probably play it for two or three bucks and try and hit it a couple times. But uh, if I'm not going to use just trading up, I would add in the man look and then Rahal, uh, Oscar Flores again for Danny Caldwell. They've been improving each and every time. I think they're starting to figure out not only the racetrack with their horses, but also the condition book as well and where they fit. Yeah, I think I'll probably be on most of my tickets just one and five there with those two, uh, the uh, the Lothenbach horses who probably complement each other really well with the running styles. You'll probably have one running on the lead and one probably sitting third or fourth trying to run them down late. So, yeah, just the feel of the, the pick five when we talk it out um, on Thursday feels like the Wednesday one has an opportunity at least for a little bit more. Um, a couple of the horses that I just want to make sure people will include on their, uh, on their tickets is... In race number seven, the five, Circle Me Burt, who could be the speed of the speed. Race number eight, the one, Great Blake. You know, I mean, I could play, I could map out tickets, you know, that are, you know, two, five, seven with maybe five, seven, eight with the five, with the one, with the one. Very, very cheap, affordable tickets. So if you're a type of player who you can't play every day, or maybe some of the sequences you look at and they're a little too difficult for you to, it doesn't mean you're going to hit, but you want to feel confident when you, when you put your wet, your wager in, right? There's nothing worse than like, Making a bet and knowing, you know what, I probably shouldn't have bet this race because this this sequence is too tough. I don't have an opinion. I'm like five by five by five by five every time. It feels like I'm just tossing money out the window. I think Thursday, the smaller players can feel like they could probably put in a $24 ticket and feel feel comfortable like they have a legitimate shot to pick up a couple hundred bucks. Absolutely. And, and if they do, great. But that's what we felt like last Thursday as well, and it paid over $70,000 you know, I'm, I'm a paid handicapper and fortunately enough, but with that being said, I'm still wrong way more than I'm right. So even though I feel like Thursday might not pay that much, it easily could still pay uh, hundreds, if not thousands. So you beat one or two of these very overwhelming favorites and that's when it starts to happen. So Brian, um, what, what's the rest of the schedule like there over at Canterbury? How long do we continue to race? We go into mid-September and we've got some more good racing coming up. Uh, one thing that's always been nice here in Minnesota is a lot of our Minnesota breeds or breads don't go anywhere or anything like that. And, you know, with some other tracks like Turf Paradise not starting until later on in the meet, I think we're going to have some full entry boxes for the last couple weeks of the meet. So we go about another five weeks, but you'll see it really crank up. where We're going to be turning out some 12-horse fields here uh, shortly, and it makes for some great betting at the end of the meet. Awesome. Looking forward to getting you back on here again. And uh, well, one of these weeks, I want to bring Dave on too and have uh, maybe even both Daves and have three or four of us on here all doing a little Canterbury roundtable. So, Brian, awesome stuff. Have a great rest of your week. Really appreciate you helping us out. And good luck at Canterbury. Good luck all over the place, wherever else you're playing. And thanks for giving us a few uh, few minutes of your time here on That's What G Said. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, Gino. Best uh, you luck. know what? Get, and give us your plugs one more time for the folks uh, listening and social media stuff. Where can we follow you? Yeah, so every every day I'll do, uh, they call it the Aragoni Angle. It's just the pick five preview, discuss many things that Gino and I talk about on this podcast, how we see it playing out, ways to potentially structure it. You can find that on Mr. B 
underscore CBY analyst. Don't ask me why the Twitter handle is so long. I apologize. Just type in Brian Aragoni. You should be able to find it. <laughs> Brian Aragoni. You type that name in. You're also going to find a picture of a sharp handicapper there. Brian, thanks again, my friend. Good luck this week. Yeah, you as well. Don't go anywhere, folks. We're going to hear from one of our sponsors. We'll be right back here on That's What G Said. This week's old wrestling rewatch is going to take us a little bit farther back than where we've been as of late. We're going to go back to 1994, and it's going to be SummerSlam. And the main event was The Undertaker versus The Undertaker. But the real main event of the show was Bret the Hitman Hart versus his brother Owen Hart in a 30-minute-plus steel cage match. That is an excellent match that always gets talked about of one of the better matches in WWE history. We get a good IC title match. We get a pretty good women's match. A couple downers for sure. Not a show that has um, a solid top-to-bottom lineup. But, Darren, we'll start with you, and then uh, we'll get to Andrew Champagne in just a moment. I thought it was a pretty solid show overall. Yeah, I mean, you know, this is known for the double main event, one which was a tremendous match, and the other which is will go down in history as one of the probably dumbest ideas that WWE ever had in terms of a, a large-scale uh, event with The Undertaker versus The Undertaker. We'll get into that. But, I mean, as a, you know, be honest with you, as a kid, if I remember correctly, I probably found it funny. You know, looking back on it now, you know, it's, it's fairly ridiculous. But um, the Brett Owen match is an absolute classic, uh, as you alluded to. Um, the IC title match is good, you know, when you put, uh, obviously – you know, Hull and Nash uh, in the ring together, you know, you get good stuff. Uh, you know I'm going to absolutely just crap all over Tatanka and Luger. So, you, Andrew, you'll look forward to that later on. But, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, it, it's a fun show. Excuse me. It took me back in time. There's some interesting interesting stuff going on, even right off the bat, with, uh, with a tag match that was supposed to be for the titles that actually ended up not being for the titles because there was a title change literally the night before the show, which is something – very uncommon that we really don't see. Forget about them losing titles at a house show, which happens once in a blue moon, but doing it the night before the pay-per-view uh, was certainly interesting. I'm going to go a completely different direction here. So I was not a mid-90s WWF guy. I was a late-90s WWF guy. When I got in, it was 95, 96, and I was a WCW guy. So I had never seen this show from start to finish. I had seen the Brett Owen match once or twice. I knew what was coming. I'm going to have a lot of fun picking apart things on this show that I did not like. I actually thought the first couple of matches were underrated. There's a women's title match on this show we'll get Very to good. that mm-hmm. is legitimately good. After that, with one exception... Slim pickings here as far as good stuff. I thought with one big exception, the show peaked early and it ended with one of the worst main events in the history of the WWF, WWE. And I'll even go back as far as the WWF. That is how dreadful this was. Yeah, and and I will sort of agree with the point that Darren was starting to make. I think everything... The Undertaker storyline about bringing in the new Undertaker, everything up until this guy having to get in the ring and actually wrestle was okay, was passable. It's not, 
Because we, we know Undertaker is going to be involved in these weird mythical, mystical storylines And and we we accept it with him So he's gone for a while He, he at, Undertake, at a Royal Rumble 1994 Remember they have 10 people that, that have to help put him in the casket And we see afterwards he, you know, the powers And he gets taken up And Paul, and, and so all this time leading up it, I don't mind all of that stuff It's just the guy who was playing the other Undertaker is horrible. He's someone that we would see in the uh, Disciples of Apocalypse a couple years following this, and someone who would float around wrestling for a while. But he just could not sell a basic clothesline. I mean, the match is you you, you feel so bad for the Undertaker having to deal with this guy a year after having to deal with Giant Gonzalez through all of that. And then the next year, King Kong Bundy, I like quite a bit, but he's well past his prime in 95. Not a whole lot left. He's got to deal with him. And then, you know, Kama is another one of his big matches. So he has a real street string of, of years here from about 93. Up until 93, he was still okay. They didn't really... He, he had this stuff with Kamala. That was okay. It, it is just a bad a bad time for uh, for poor Undertaker. And, yeah, it, we'll, we'll just get through it and we'll start getting to, uh, to each and everything as we, as we go. So we're in 1994. We're at SummerSlam here. And we're at the United Center in Chicago We don't, WWFE doesn't do A lot of shows at the United Center Generally they do shows At what Rosemont Horizon is one of the places They, they go to all the time but this was the new United Center right in the middle Of the you know the Bulls and, and their big Runs so this is a this is What WWF likes to do they like To get to those new buildings and, and have a big Show so We have Macho Man who kicks things Off and this is what Macho Man is gone he, Is he He's there at he's not. Yeah he's gone two months after this right Is this it for like big appearances for him He's not there at Survivor Series is he No yeah he's, so I, 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 And there was no pay per view Back then between SummerSlam and Survivor no, Series Because 93 so, Survivor but, Series Is when he's the special The special opponent that has to fill in For Mr. Perfect when Mr. Perfect Ends up leaving and then he has this stuff going on With, uh, with Crush even yeah. you know so yeah, so ninety, but this is really it for for Macho Man, which is such a bummer because we we saw him actually go over to WCW and still have at least a couple of good years in the tank, and he's one of those what if, woulda, coulda, shoulda stories that we always, you know, I would love to have seen him with some in some main event programs with Brett, with Sean, with some of the guys coming up even a, a year or two later. How about someone like a a Triple H or a, a Stone Cold? Those have been you know good good learning experiences for all of those guys. Too. So Macho Man comes out He's the host He welcomes us to the show And he talks about the new generation And he, he throws things to the announcers Vince and Jerry I thought that Jerry was Kind of a, a tamed Jerry For the most part There's a couple matches where he has some of his typical Jerry stuff But he didn't really And, and, and anytime the hearts are going at it He's going to have a good time with the Hart family And he had yep. some, some stuff to say in the women's match For sure He just didn't feel too I didn't notice him quite as much out, out there as you do in some other shows And and then Darren mentioned Right off the bat we have this tag team Match that was supposed to be for the tag te- Team titles I mean if I am million dollar man With Bam Bam and IRS I gotta be pissed here You got a match that you think is for the tag titles And then another team wins it the night before So you don't get the tag title match And 
I, I think the reason why they're doing that is because Diesel and Shawn Michaels win the title and the titles, and Diesel's already booked for a match against Razor. I'm assuming they didn't want to have Diesel doing double duty. I don't think they said that. It's one of those things in wrestling where if you just kind of say that, at least we would have said, oh, okay, that makes sense. Diesel's already got a match tonight. They're going to do this match, you know, coming up next week or whenever. So, uh, yeah, we get things started. This this is a match that all four of these guys, the Head Shrinkers, Bam Bam Bigelow, IRS, I like them. I like T- DiBiase, who's out there, you know, with, this is the corporation. Offa is a good piece for the Head Shrinkers. And um, Captain Lou Albano's out there, too. I think just losing the tag title match made this match really flat. Um, a little more flat than it could have been. I don't have a problem with it. Like I said, I liked all the workers. I thought it was average. The ending, I could have been a little bit better. Um, it, you know, it's like I said, I don't love it. I don't hate it. It's okay. It just would have been better if it's the if it's the tag team title match, which they uh, they end up getting the titles over to. To Sean and Diesel so Darren what did you think Of this opener yeah I mean The stuff that was going on Beyond the match bothered me The, the match was fine uh, All four workers I, I enjoy in the ring uh, The head shrinkers to me Still have one of the weirdest finishers in that I'm not sure what Samu standing in front of Fatu when he has absolutely Nothing to do with the splash off the Top rope <laughs> just like, to I jump guess, over him For no reason yeah, so he goes I, ah. I, I guess it makes it cooler, but it's not like he stands on his shoulders or anything. He literally just stands in the corner as Fatu jumps over him. And I always thought that was pretty funny. Um, from the story perspective, though, and what went on, it kind of bothered me. So, like like you said, uh, you know, IRS and Bam Bam Bigelow have, have DiBiase as their manager. You know, where's the promo with DiBiase going off? Like, this is supposed to be for the belts. We're getting screwed. We're going to go out there and show and show everybody in the WWF why we should have a shot at the titles. You know, they, they should make this right. We should have a match with Sean and Diesel, whatever, whatever you want them to do with it. Promo never exists. It's not a story. What's going on is Samu got hurt, and they, obviously they didn't want to put the belts on IRS and Bam Bam Bigelow, and they probably had it in their minds that at some point they were going to do this Sean Diesel thing, so they just went ahead and kind of jumped the gun and did it the night before the show. So that's kind of why... Uh, the head shrinkers lost. And this is the last time that you're going to see the traditional head shrinkers for quite some time because Samu is going to be injured. They bring in another guy who, believe it or not, whose name I don't even remember, um, who partners with Fatu for about six months, eight months. But, yeah, I mean, from that standpoint, it bothered me. I, I, I get why the finish was what it was, although if the head shrinkers were leaving, you could have had a clean finish because it really doesn't matter. But, uh, yeah, there's just some extracurricular stuff going on behind the scenes and the storylines that just makes this a little wonky for me. Match was fine, but all of that extracurricular stuff just kind of, you know, put a bad taste in my mouth. All right, we're going to hit the trope right off the rip here. Bam Bam Bigelow, a big man that can move. <laughs> Everybody drink. Glug, glug, glug. I thought Bam Bam and IRS were flying around there pretty good. Mm-hmm. I thought this match... While it wasn't particularly great, it had some energy to it. The guys were at least trying in there, and they had every reason not to, given some of the shenanigans that were going on behind the scenes with the belts. Bam Bam flies around, takes a couple of really good bumps for a guy his size, tags in IRS, and the crowd hates IRS's guts. A lot of tax cheats in the United Center that evening, as he would say. But he does a cool spot where he leapfrogs and gets caught with a body slam 
And then a couple seconds later, he goes flying over the top rope. They were throwing themselves around pretty good. You guys mentioned the splash there. Got to agree with Darren. Not quite sure what the uh, what the head shrinkers were doing with that. The, the finish was what it was. DiBiase distracts the ref. Afa and Albana run in. It's Schmaz City. Not a terrible match. Decent opener. There's some energy to it. The crowd had a chance to pop a couple of times. For what it was, it was fine. I just can't put it any higher than that. Yeah, um, this was at the point when the Million Dollar Man was starting to build the corporation and the head shrinkers are the baby faces here, but they weren't a baby face team that was going to get huge, huge, crazy pops. The crowd was just behind them like they would be behind a, you know any normal baby face that they wanted you to get behind. You thought it was a solid first few minutes, good back and forth, nice pace. Um, a few minutes in, the heels gave the advantage. You get the hot tag, head shrinker splash, but DiBiase has the ref distracted. Bam, bam, then hits Albano, and then Offa comes in, and he and the head shrinker is all triple headbutt. Bam, bam. I wish the uh, am surprised when Offa gets in the match. He's got he's always gets a little bounce in his step. You expect him to be really slow and not able to move, but he's he still can move around a little when he has to uh, when he has to call on uh, whatever he has left in there. Everybody fights down the aisle, and then DiBiase just leaves. This is one of the first of a couple times he does this tonight with one of his uh, quote unquote corporation members or one of his uh, one of his guys. And Bam Bam and IRS win this by DQ. So we then get to a couple of these reoccurring sketches that we have. Then these are the Naked Gun sketches. Leslie Nielsen, he's looking for the Undertaker, and he's with. Um, uh, George Kennedy, who was also in the Naked Gun movies, they were buddies, and um, so we get a lot of these scenes. And you know, most of them are just ant. A couple of them are funny, but th- they'd been doing these for a while and setting him up as uh, he was on the case, trying to find out all about the Undertaker, who was the real Undertaker. Could he find the old Undertaker? So they're they're playing off of this, and unfortunately, sad to watch. I think both these guys have uh, have passed away since. As uh, we see with a lot of these uh, wrestlers or some of the characters from the older shows that we we watch. So, Orient Express music for Bull Nakano, who comes out with Luna Vachon versus Alondra Blaze, and Andrew mentioned this match a little bit earlier. This was at a this was when WWF would do just like we said with the um, the at the time what they would call the midget wrestling, the little people wrestling. They would just pop up randomly, and then they would have you know feuds and matches for a month or a couple months, and then it would just. Out of nowhere be gone for a year or two years And we wouldn't hear anything about it And that's kind of how the women's division was for a while We had some of those really good women's tag matches In the late 80s, early 90s With the Jumping Bomb Angels came over They were excellent And then not much for a while And then when Alondra Blaze came along She had some matches at some of the big events And this one might be the best one that I can remember This was a match that I thought was really, really good And I'm talking in an era of the best era of women's wrestling currently that we've ever had where you get good quality matches all the time. Both of these women could work and they felt like they were really, really wanting to put a good match on here. Um, King, uh, when uh, when Bull comes out, King says, take a look at that hair. She's got so much moose in her hair, she's likely to sprout antlers. Ugh. So uh, Lawler makes fun of Alondra's face but calls Bull beautiful. Then Luna tries to attack Pre-match, didn't work uh, Bull tosses Blaze around by the hair And Bull's aggressive early She's dominating, Alondra hits a Hurricane Rana 
and and then she she has that two handed choke slam, which looked really cool. She locks in a Boston Crab, which looked good. And Bolt is super impressive. Luna jumps in, helping the heels, and when the ref isn't looking, good back and forth, near falls both way. Bull goes up top. King says she's 240 pounds at this point. And she misses a leg drop off the top. Alondra hits a German suplex for the win. And the crowd, Darren, they really, really popped. They were into Alondra here. They got into this match. This was one of the better women's match, early women's matches in WWF that I can remember. You know, some of the ones I referenced with the, the those tags maybe five, six years earlier, whenever those were. But this was one of the better Alondra Blaze matches I remember. Yeah, it was. These two worked well together. They have a run of about four or five months here with, where they basically work on a program together for quite some time, up until the point where uh, Alundra drops the title to uh, Bull Meccano and, and gets, uh, she gets jumped in the process. And um, the storyline is that she gets her nose broken, but she's actually leaving for a while to have a nose job and get breast implants. So there you go. Uh, which is kind of funny to go along with what Lawler was talking about, making fun of her face, and then she goes and gets a nose job. So it was kind of kind of interesting how like the real world played in there. <laughs> um, yeah, the match was cool. I mean, you know, Medusa slash Alundra Breeze you know, could definitely do some good things in the ring. She had a really cool Hurricane Rana, which I thought you know was impressive when she worked with somebody like Bull here. Sold really well, I thought. Um, you know, Bull obviously has a rather intimidating female you know wrestling figure. Um, but, yeah, I, I thought it was a very good match. I really enjoyed a couple of the submissions that Bull put on. Mm-hmm. She did they look, they look good. Like the yeah, the, the, the Boston Crab. And- yeah, yeah. The Cloverleaf one where she, mm-hmm. like, lifted her whole bodies off the ground. You know, that looked really, really painful. I thought that was a really cool spot. Um, you know, Luna, I don't know what Luna, you know, out, out in the ring making her faces contributes to it. Uh, and I don't really remember why she is Bull's manager. At the time, but that being said, thought it was a really good match. An interesting tidbit on Bull Nakano. In addition to being a professional wrestler, she went on to become a professional golfer and actually played on the LPGA Tour. So go figure that one out. Nice. Darren, I hate your rotten guts. I had that queued up as a trivia question. Cool. How oh, dare you? Oh, nice. How dare you? Well done. Look at that. I'm well, sorry. No, you're not. I know you. Come on. <laughs> now. So I'm going to try to, you know, simmer in my angst here for a moment because I like this match a lot. I think it is leaps and bounds the second best match on the entire card. Jerry Lawler has a couple of really good lines. The line that you mentioned about the moose was was what it was. Personally, my favorite line was, look at that hair. You suppose she takes it off to wash it like yours, McMahon? I thought that was a great line. The hair tosses that Bull Nakano does get big reactions. This, I would imagine, is the first time a lot of WWF fans were introduced to Joshi wrestling, the kind of power wrestling that women's wrestling embodied in Japan for a while and still does. You can watch a whole bunch of stuff on YouTube if you know where to find it. It's fascinating stuff. It is not everyone's cup of tea. There's a taste of it here, though, and it works really well because Medusa knew how to work with Bull Nakano, knew how to sell for what she was trying to do. Blaze hits a big Rana coming off the ropes for a big pop. You guys mentioned the sharpshooter surfboard combination thing Nakano does, and the only thing I didn't like about that is the only thing I don't like about the surfboard submission. If you have somebody locked into that, 
and they're literally defenseless and you know there's no way of getting out, why, as a wrestler, would you ever let go? Why wouldn't you just, you know, latch on the hold, wait for them to submit, realizing there's no way to get out of it? It's a logical fallacy that befuddles me. There are a couple of really good matches with uh, Jushin Liger where he busts out the surfboard, and I always watch the match, and I'm going, okay, it's a great match. I love Jushin Liger. The surfboard ought to be a finish. You're not getting out of it. I'm just saying. I understand it doesn't look painful, but from a technical standpoint, could serve a lot more than what it has over the years. And now that I have done my grumpy old man bit about the surfboard, I'll go back to the match. Vince hates the ref work here. He is screaming at referee Tim White. There are a couple of, come on, refs, in there. And it's pretty <laughs> funny if you know what Vince yeah. is going for and how he's trying to ham it up a little bit. Um, Alundra Blaze grabs a hold and Jerry yells, she'll break her hair, McMahon. That was pretty <laughs> funny. Nakano misses a top rope leg drop. Alundra Blaze hits the German suplex. Really good match. Really fun match. Still ticked off at Darren for robbing me of my trivia question. I was really happy about that. <laughs> I did a lot of research on Bull Nakano because I knew she had done a lot of really cool things. I just didn't know golfing was one of them until I saw that. And this afternoon, I'm going, can't wait to get on and talk about Bull Nakano as a golfer. Can't wait to get on and talk about Bull Nakano as a golfer. Oh, you're thunder. Darren, Darren. I hope your hair falls out and comes yeah. back orange. No, 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 no. That's not too the much. Hair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's just too much. That's, that's a Bobby Heenan, Ric Flair yeah. line that Heenan would always get in yell there, ref. For. Get in there, ref. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, but what's, worse? but what's worse if I that I spoiled it, or the fact that like two seconds after you asked the question, I would be like, "Oh, that's easy. She played golf." <laughs> See, yeah, then I would say you cheated, and then I'd be able to turn it around. The way you did it put me in an incredibly awkward position that I'd rather not be in. <laughs> oh, that's funny. love you, buddy. <laughs> good stuff. Good stuff. Um, this was yeah, this was good. I mean, this, this is one of those matches. On when I saw on the show, I was like, ah, I didn't expect it to be this good. I remember that uh, Medusa Alondra had some good matches here and there, and 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 Bull was really good. Yeah, this this was fun. We then get to Todd Pettengill. He's backstage with uh, or Todd Pettengill's backstage with Sean and Diesel. He was just back for the WWE NXT in your house, and it was cool what how they had him. They just used him at the very beginning at the intro and in, in one or two different spots where he was setting up. The show and setting up some promos And it was fun, it's just a fun little bit of nostalgia People got excited to see him That's a good use of nostalgia Sometimes bringing the old guard back And having them beat all of your top current performers Is not the best use of nostalgia But bringing back an old commentator To do a little bit here and there To, to pop the people and make them laugh That's a good thing to do So we get uh, Sean who's looking absolutely ridiculous At this point He's got the, he's got the hat the, the big earrings, the sunglasses, gloves. He's got a crisscross vest thing sort of going on. And he's talking about how they've uh, held the IC title between Diesel and Sean, one or the other, for a while now. So they focused on the tag team titles. They delivered, proving – this was a weird one too – proving they are the two most happening cats in all of the WWF. Okay. Um, Diesel says his moniker should be Midas. Because everything I touch turns to gold. And he's doing this weird, crazy thing with his eyes, you know, he's that he used to do. He, was, he wasn't quite comfortable as Nash yet. He got a little more comfortable in the next few months. And then 
he turned. He was actually the best when he was sort of heelish right at the very end of his WWE, uh, when he was kind of like that tweener right at the end of his WWF run before he went across to uh, to WCW. So, um, yeah. So we got Razor Ramon, who's going to have Walter Payton in his corner, who at this time, Walter Payton was the all-time leading rusher. And I think it's a bummer. What did he, he only made it about five years after this, right? Peyton, I think like 99, he passed away. Yeah, he needed a liver transplant. And I don't know if he didn't get it or he got it and it didn't take, but he died way too young. Yeah, not not a whole lot after this uh, in 94. So it, it does seem a little weird. I know Sean's a, and Sean plays a big part of this match. It just seems a little weird not to have Sean on the card at the time. It, it, it's not well, like he's. Yeah. On that point, Gino, this is actually two pay-per-views in a row that he's not on the card. And, he and yeah, he wasn't in the he wasn't in a match technically in uh, the King of the Ring '94. He was with Diesel in the in the match with Brett on the side. So two in a row without without one of your best athletes was weird. And, and you would think that he's not hurt if he just wrestled the night before and won the tag team titles, and he's going to be in tag title matches, and he's taking bumps and stuff outside. But maybe he had some sort of an injury where they didn't want to have him go fifteen or twenty minutes himself all the time, and they were sort of ha- maybe hiding him at the tag for a while. But yeah, it was it was a weird ninety four for Sean, and then you know ninety five, ninety six, ninety seven. That they become huge years for him, but sort of a weird um, ninety four. So we get Diesel out, we get Razor out, and we get a big pop for Razor with Walter Payton and a quick start for Razor. Uh, Diesel ducks outside and talks to Sean. And remember, folks, we we discussed a Nash Hall match from was it five years and a month or two later, and a couple months uh, after this. That was just an atrocious, awful, horrible match in WCW. You're welcome. Yeah, horrible. <laughs> this match is very good. This is a good, above average, really solid match. And what it is, there's a lot of bells and whistles here, but they do a good job. I think they could still tell that Diesel wasn't quite quite. He had a good. He had a match with uh with Brett before this. He was still a, a shade away from main event. He's going to win the title not long after this, but he still needed a little bit of help and this was good because he's working with his friends who are going to help him quite a bit. He's going to make them look good, they're going to make him look good. We've got all the stuff with Sean outside the ring rolling around. We got uh Peyton out there trying to kind of catch Sean who keeps getting involved and it's a really good, I thought well-booked match. You know what, Andrew? This match sort of reminds me. I don't think it's quite as good in any way, but it sort of reminds me of that WCW match with uh, with the football players, where they booked it really well. And it's and these were two wrestlers in the match, but you know, just the use of Peyton and how they booked this match, I thought was good with the use of you know Sean getting into it, crowd super hot. Um, they had those two guys outside the ring really add to the match. And you know, towards the end, Razors, it's just back and forth. You imagine. Um, quick start for Razor. Diesel ducks outside, talks to Sean. I mentioned that before, and then Diesel goes to work. Couple flurries from Razor, um, and then Jerry mentioned, which is kind of a bummer. They were on Regis and Kathy Lee earlier. Shout out to Regis, who just passed away uh, a few days before we were recording this. And Regis was at WrestleMania seven. Regis is a huge wrestling fan. He had wrestlers for thirty years plus on his shows from all of the eras, basically. Every major wrestler was on one of Regis's shows, and so you know they they mentioned that uh, they were on the show with Regis earlier. Crowd is really hot for this, and 
Sean nails Razor outside Sean unties the turnbuckle pad Exposes the steel He's really helping Diesel get the better of Razor While Walter P's a, a step behind outside Diesel works on Razor for a while Then you get some of those small hope spots for Razor Two count while Diesel goes chest first Into the turnbuckle And then Razor gets the advantage of the bulldog Off the top rope He just misses a, a, then a body slam And then he nails Sean off the apron And Sean's a, it's funny. Sean's wearing the tag team title belt most of this was I thought was was funny And then Walter pulls it off him towards the end And this most of this match The ref is you know doing the, the Typical thing like he's going after Walter Payton And letting Sean get away with absolute murder And do whatever the hell he wants uh, The heels set up Razor for the Sweet chin music Diesel's Holding him and then Razor moves Sean nails Diesel who I, I counted He is down for After he gets hit with the sweet chin Music 38 seconds This is like Booker T, Triple H, Wrestlemania stuff here Before the ref gets in the ring to count the three uh, Other than that, I really like this match It was better than I expected And I think having watched the other Nash Hall match Not that long ago and, and how bad it was This was just a pleasant surprise and, and really showed us that when these two guys wanted to work They really could I, I don't know if they had any like 96 I would have loved to see the guy, the two guys in about 96 When when Diesel was a little bit better going at it They could have had a really Even a little bit better than this type match But um, we'll start with you DZ What did you think of the IC title match? Yeah I remember when I was a kid When I watched this match I was very jealous of Diesel Because he held in my opinion What were like the two Most beautiful title belts That probably the WWE ever had I love this version of the tag title belt and obviously, the Intercontinental title belt was a, a sight to see back then. And, and I was, remember being jealous that he got to come down carrying both those belts. I thought it was cool. Um, watching it back, you know, Diesel, you, you, you're right. He's not, he's not quite there yet. He was basically Sean's bodyguard up until just about, you know, five months before this. So, um, you know, this is kind of when he starts to go. Um, they Remember, he won the IC title on like an edition of Superstars. Uh, wasn't on a pay-per-view or anything like that. So he had a good run with it, a little over four months. Uh, I thought this match was very good. I thought Sean and, and Walter Payton on the outside, although Walter being with Razor was just kind of weird. You didn't really get it. But obviously, you know, the big Chicago hero was there to put over the baby face in the Chicago crowd, and, and you get that. But uh, I, I thought it was a very good match. At this point, Diesel, even physically, He's not quite where he eventually gets to. If you look at his, you know, he's a big guy, but if you look at his body type, he's not yet at this point like fully crazy Jack Diesel. No, he hasn't filled out at all. Yeah, he hasn't. He's he's just he's just a big guy right now, but like he he doesn't have like those muscles popping out of everywhere that he would have, you know, a year and a half from now or so. Sean, on the other hand, is this is when he starts to get really cut up. Uh, Sean Sean has trimmed off the baby fat. And it's starting to look very good. I, I thought the stuff that him and Walter did outside was kind of funny. Walter chasing him around. Sean was like an annoying flea biting at uh, you know at your at your ankle. Uh, I thought a cool spot was when Sean distracted the ref and he kind of did that flying clothesline off the stairs. Um, you know, I thought that was a cool spot. This is probably the point in Ray's career where, in my opinion, he's doing some of his best work in the ring. Um, yeah, I mean, Bell the Bell thought it was a great match. Thoroughly enjoyed it, watching it back. It was actually a match that I kind of forgot about because this yeah, pay-per-view was mm-hmm. always 
you know, Brenton Owen and, and the two Undertakers. And, and I kind of forgot that this match actually happened, which is weird to say for an IC title match. But, uh, yeah, it, it was a pleasant surprise in, in that, oh, yeah, this match is on this show. And, wow, oh, yeah, it was, it was a damn good match. But, yes, I, I enjoyed it a great deal. I would agree with uh, – I would put this number three on the card behind, obviously, Brenton Owen. And, and I would agree. I thought the women's match was probably the second best match. Yeah, I think that's that's very close. I'd have these two close, and it's just it, it, sort of what you said. Both of them exceeded my expectations, and this one was sort of that surprise. Like, I, I just don't remember this. I remember these two guys having a match or two, but I just didn't remember it here. So, Andrew, what did you think of the IC title? I thought it was okay. I didn't like it as much as the two of you. First of all, if you go to the entrances, pretty funny little moment. You sort of have to look really close. Diesel has to duck to get through the entranceway. And my thinking is, okay, if you're the set designer for the WWF, you have the card, you know what's going to be on the card, you know how tall everybody is, you're telling me you couldn't have built that entryway another 18 inches higher? Come on, someone did not do their job. Razor has Walter Payton. The crowd pops a little bit for Razor. They see Peyton with them. The crowd goes berserk. Because of that dynamic, here's what you have. The most over guy in the match is in the corner of the babyface, who's reasonably over. The heel in the corner of the champion is over. The champion? Eh? He's the fourth most over guy in the match. And I thought that was a really strange dynamic. I understand what they were going for here, but... It just, it it felt weird, especially when we're supposed to be buying Diesel as the Intercontinental Champion with everything that he would wind up going on to accomplish in the WWF and WCW. He's the fourth most over guy in this match, and it's not close at this point. And that sort of stunned me as I was watching this. The match was okay with the two guys outside the ring being what they were and doing the things that they were. Diesel and Razor didn't really have to do a whole heck of a lot. Uh, Gino, you mentioned bells and whistles. The term that I would use is actually smoke and mirrors because Diesel and Razor didn't bump a whole heck of a lot. The best bump in this match came from when Shawn Michaels got knocked off the apron and went flying straight into the guardrail. I thought that was a great bump by Shawn there. So they go through the match. The spot that I never got is the dueling abdominal stretch spot where Diesel's grabbing the ropes and the ref finally breaks it. And then Razor grabs an abdominal stretch of his own. And we're supposed to think that that's some modicum of tremendous technical wrestling. No, didn't work for me. It's not that it was a bad match. It was not a bad match. It was a decent match. I just, I I couldn't really fully get into it all that much just because the way stuff was meshing together was a little bit bizarre to me. Razor gets the win. You mentioned it, Gino, and I was going to ask if you timed it because I know you usually time this stuff. 38 seconds being down (laughs) on the mat. That just, it, it didn't make Diesel look particularly good. And now you've got a dynamic where Diesel and Sean are the tag team champs. Diesel storms back. And Randy Savage talks about this in his little post-match hit that he did, talking about, oh, I wouldn't want to be Shawn Michaels. Oh, but they're the tag champions. That's an interesting dynamic. So 
yeah, they were trying to tell a story here, and I suppose that worked. The match was okay. I just don't think I was as high on it as you two were. Yeah, Oscar the Grouch over there, Andrew Champagne. But uh, and I'm, no. I'm not done yet, by the way. I'm <laughs> there, really not there, done. Yeah, there's, there's some other bad things to go. No, 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 no. There's oh, okay, go ahead. A, there's going to be a take later on in this show that is going to have one or both of you trying to come through the phone. It's going to happen. Well, don't, okay. don't tell me. Don't tell me you're going to crap all over the bread. We'll no get one. there. We'll get there. You, come on. Goodness gracious. <laughs> oh, by the way, now, yeah. by, by the way, you know, uh, to, to Andrew's point, you know, with, with, with Diesel. So we're at, at this point, Diesel is, is literally three months almost to the day away from being the WWE mm-hmm. champion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I agree in watching this match and watching Diesel – I don't see WWE champion material. No way. Not yet. Not at this point. And he, yeah. he grows into it. And, and yeah. especially towards the end, he grows into it. He doesn't have a great 95 run, which is a, a run that people talk about as a time when the business wasn't doing great. But he definitely improves. But And I agree with a lot of what Andrew had said. I just thought they did a really good job. Because this is a match that you probably... Like, we are noticing it more when we're picking the show apart. I think... I think they did a good job of hiding D- uh, Diesel in this match the best that they could Using the other three guys a- Around him to all have a little bit of a role So yeah he, it, it's it's funny That is I think one of the more noticeable things that we all Picked up and that Diesel definitely was not Diesel here and he's not far away From being a main event guy Another thing that does is it really makes me Respect Brett all that much because he pulled yeah. Some damn great matches out of Diesel oh. One right before this and another one Not that long after this so it really makes you, you respect Brett, who got some awesome matches out of uh, out of Diesel. Uh, yeah, Big their, Survivor, their Survivor Series match in '95, I thought, was sensational. Yeah, it was. Exactly. It was tremendous. Yes, that was yeah. a fantastic match. Great storytelling. It's a legitimate five star match for me. Okay, so here's a, a few that I don't think any of us have really liked any of these matches. It's oh, Lex, here we go. Lex Luger versus Tatanka. And and I'm going to take a slightly different angle. I don't think this match is good by any means. I don't think it's good or anything. My whole approach is going to be, man, look at how bad Lex Luger got booked. From the very beginning, let's just kind of go through it, right? The whole, the whole angle of this is, did Lex sell out? Is he part of the corporation? One of these two... Ted DiBiase is going to be in the corner of either Lex Luger or Tatanka, and it's one of these two. And the 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 poll they run that said that fifty four percent of the crowd, the audience, thinks that Lex Luger ha- did sell out. So his first appearance in WWF, he's doing the WBF shtick, where he comes in. He's not even a wrestler again for uh, at the beginning for a little bit. He's t- he's got to do that stupid shtick in his house where he's muscles, and and Bobby introduces him. Then he comes in as the narcissist You know what, we saw him a lot And he got a lot of wins over jobbers and stuff But he wasn't really pushed all that hard King of the Ring 93 He's out in a time limit draw in round one Then we get the big baby face turn But we've talked about what happened at SummerSlam 93 Just a year before this He wins by DQ That's supposed to be his big moment He never gets the belt He co-wins the 94 Rumble And he's just, you know, Brett's the guy So he's just Pushed down a little bit, which makes sense. But now he's in this storyline where is did he sell out? What's going on here? He just for a guy they they thought was a main event type talent, they did not treat him like one the way they booked him. And so we got this whole build up with the million dollar man. I'll say one thing about this show, and it did happen 
in later because they had to build the cage and then take the cage down. There were a couple of these build-up packages, storylines that were I mean, this one was a few minutes. We get a ton of time for the Brett Owen match, which is fine because that's got, it's got a lot of build-up. And then the Undertaker match at, um afterwards, another thing I I counted after the all the Brett Owen stuff and the backstage stuff, it is like 17 minutes until the Undertaker match actually starts. Between all the build-up stuff, the guys' entrances, and, and everything, so there is a lot of dead time on this show that I think does hurt it in some spots. It's not the stuff that they're showing and telling is useful. It's good storyline stuff, but it just when you have two or three different spots in the show where there's seven or eight minutes and no match, and then there's fifteen minutes and no match, and then another fifteen minutes and no match, it you know it adds up, and so we get to the you know Todd Pettengill did Lex sell out. And we're made to believe that he sold out through all of this buildup. Mixed reaction for Tatanka, slightly better reaction, but still mixed for Lex Luger. And Tatanka's really laying it on to Lex before the match, saying he sold out. We get a back and forth. I mean, it's okay. The the beginning of it's a decent a decent pace, but then it slows down. Lex with a couple of clotheslines. Announcers really selling that Lex is the bad guy. Ted comes out. He distracts Lex, and then Tatanka. With the roll up gets the win And then King says Lex is kind of stupid <laughs> He just says uh, Then DiBiase comes in the ring Tatanka attacks Lex Luger from behind So we have Lex Luger Losing this match And then he just looks bad after He doesn't get the win He then gets beat down He was made to look like a fool in this whole storyline It's just this, These are some of the shows when you're supposed to get The, the baby face over He just did not Get tre- he got treated like an absolute joke And a nobody here And honestly after this you're going to get Lex Into um, a tag team With the British Bulldog at the beginning In middle of 95 before he heads over To WCW uh, and Tatanka actually sold out DiBiase gets the microphone to te- uh, Tatanka and Ted Hug uh, He says he fooled everyone And he Tatanka leaves the ring Then he comes back to attack Lex with the million dollar dream I mean this match doesn't even go five minutes The post match goes six and a half And then we go backstage with Gorilla So we get the build up stuff And the post match stuff That are both longer than the match itself Which isn't very good at all I just These guys we saw them so many times Over a three year period And it was never that great And I honestly I I didn't before, but I I do feel a little bit bad for Lex for some of the stuff that he was dealing with. He might not have been the best guy backstage, but if they wanted him to be portrayed and and come off as a top guy, they sure as hell didn't treat him like that. No, no. I mean, you know, horrible booking for him for, you know, from when the balloons dropped at the SummerSlam the year before. I mean, up up till now. Um, The King of the Ring tournament, you'd mentioned that, you know, what happened in 93. In 94, he didn't even make it into the pay-per-view. He lost. He lost via countout in a qualifying match to Jeff Jarrett, um, you know, which is like shocking. Uh, after this, the Survivor Series, he he's on the short end of the stick in a team with uh, Adam Bomb, Barton, Billy Gunn, and Mabel. I mean, that's the team that Lex Luger is on at the upcoming Survivor Series, and, and they lose, uh, obviously, to the Million Dollar Team with the Tonka to keep this whole storyline going. Um, but, yeah, I mean, for me, watching Luger at this point, he just has no interest, and, and I don't really blame him. You know, you could tell by the look on his face he's not really into anything. 
There's one spot near the end of the match when DiBiase is coming out. I thought it was kind of interesting. He hits the Tonka with two clotheslines. He hits a power slam. And then he comes up and he actually he actually does the call for the torture rack. I don't know if you noticed that. Like uh, when, when he was in WCW, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. he used to call for the rack. He would he would do that kind of shake his arms up and down. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And he jumped up and I remember I remember I got excited because he never did the torture rack, you know. And I'm like, oh shit, you know, torture rack, let's go. You know? And then it all obviously goes to hell with this whole story. Uh yeah, I mean, you know, the match is bleh. Uh, but that's pretty much speaks for what Luger had become, unfortunately. And less than, you know, eight or nine months from now, he'd be, he'd be out of the company again and heading back to WCW. So, um, yeah, I mean, look, there's a lot of stuff we could talk about in, in, in wrestling. The Lex Luger WWF run is probably one of the most ridiculously wasted, short-sighted, poorly booked you know, campaigns that a wrestler has had in the business. Darren, I just want to point out, that's what you get for getting excited about a Lex Luger Tatanka match. I'm just <laughs> saying, we, we could have warned you against that right at the outset. So, <laughs> to me, what was notable about this match wasn't the match, it wasn't the angle. Vince did not have a good match on commentary here. So, right at the outset, in describing the issues that Lex Luger and Tatanka had, he says, I don't think they ever had the opportunity to be in the ring together. Uh, Vince, it's your company. You book these guys. You know for a fact they were in the 93 King of the Ring, which also had questionable booking. Calling guys that are champions that weren't champions. It's like, you book this. You write yep. these stories. You are the one that sets this up. Come on, man. I, I, we know I mean, you. And even current day Vince, of course, has the uh, excuse of old age to fall back on with what happened with EC3. Apparently, quick tangent, Vince saw EC3 on TNA and said, oh, he'd be great for WWE not realizing that he had worked in NXT as Derek Bateman several years prior. So just saying, not a new thing with Vince. And then a minute later, he goes, oh, I understand they've been tag team partners. It sort of makes you think, okay, so if Vince is out there, who's in Vince's ear there? Makes you wonder what was going on behind the scenes. This match was slow. It's not necessarily that it was a horrible match. It was just slow. It was five, six minutes that felt like double that. And then they did the post-match beatdown, which took an eternity. And as a payoff, nobody wanted to see Tatanka turn heel. Tatanka had his spot. He was a mid-card babyface that could go out there, fire up the crowd, show some energy. And he had a role in that. He was good in that role. He was not a terrific, you know, wrestler by any stretch of the imagination, but for what he was, he was fine. Nobody wanted to see Hill Tatanka. Give me Hill Luger right here, right? Yes. Give me Luger saying, you know what? You guys turned your back on me. I was behind. I, I, you know, I changed my ways for you and for the country and to help all the people and this and that. And you, you know, and he would have a great heel promo to cut. And he has yes. a million dollar man. You put him with him. I completely agree with you. Nobody Tatanka being a heel did nothing for Tatanka. It did really nothing for the corporation. And it just took away 
an act that the crowd would generally pop at and the the crowd and the fans liked and the, the kids liked. He, he there's always a place for a Tatanka-esque character on your show. Yeah, precisely. You look at a bunch of guys that have had six, eight, ten year runs, and right at the tail end of their run, you're thinking, wait, they still have a job? They still work here? But there's a reason for that. Those guys have value. You bring them out at house shows with kids, you bring them on some of the lesser circuits that they run, and you bring them in when you want to put somebody over. It's not complicated to use guys like that. And it stuns me a little bit that they turned to Tonka Heel and tried to justify it, especially when you have a guy that when he is motivated is a main event money-drawing heel in the form of Lex Luger. Luger as a baby face, eh, can take or leave. Luger as a heel, that's got juice. So we then get just a weird match. So we go we go backstage with Gorilla. We check in with him for a little bit. He's on the uh, the hotline, so he he just says hello for a, a quick minute. We get Double J versus Mabel, and King says it's the battle of country music versus rap. Now keep in mind. The following year, Mabel is in the main event against Diesel. Isn't that funny to think about? They, for the title, just where those two guys were a year before. We just talked about how Diesel was still very green. And you've got Mabel here, who's losing in a match to Jeff Jarrett. And uh, the crowd actually really likes Mabel with uh, the rap master Oscar singing on the way to the ring. And they were, you know, Mabel was better in a tag team situation. He, he actually... Was a big guy that could move Andrew better than you thought. He he had a little bit of a spurt and a little quickness to him here and there. Um, King mentions how JJ Double J has a, a new CD coming out. Ain't I great? And King says Mabel looks like Barney. Ugh, I mean, come on there. That was a, a big swing and a miss. There's a story behind that, really quick. Apparently, as a rib, all of the guys backstage would gather around Mabel in a circle and sing the Barney song after he got dressed in the big purple getup. There's a story behind that. And when you can visualize some of the people that are involved in the mid-90s, like Doink singing Barney the Clown, the Dinosaur's song, just saying, I'm okay with that image. That's hilarious. So, I mean, yeah, this, this it just felt weird to have on a pay-per-view. We have this in not a Shawn Michaels match, but you got Jeff Jarrett versus versus Mabel. Um, so there was a really weird spot here too. So outside the ring, or uh, let's see, we're, Mabel is using the power. King said that Mabel's going to buy a farm so he can graze. Uh, we're outside the ring. This is the spot, and Mabel is holding Jeff Jarrett, and then Oscar just slaps him right in front of the ref. The ref's staring right at it, and he just doesn't care. He completely lets it go. And King is furious that the ref just let that happen. Mabel goes off the second rope for a splash. He misses. Double J covers him from two. Mabel with a big kick out, push out. And then Mabel misses a sitting splash. And Jeff Jarrett awkwardly rolls him up for three. And the win. Next year's main eventer. And next year's King of the Ring. Who ends up get getting beat here. This match goes six minutes. Maybe. And it is... It's just there. It just to me, it just doesn't make sense, and it feels out of place. Uh, Darren, uh, J- Jeff Jarrett versus Mabel on SummerSlam. Yeah, this is uh, 
six minutes of my life that I'll never get back. Um, <laughs> I mean, look, there's just so much just stupidity about this match. Um, I mean, Mabel literally weighs like two and a half times what Jarrett weighs. There's a spot near the end of the match where Mabel hits him with like, you know, just, just runs into Jarrett as he's up against the ring post outside the ring. Jarrett doesn't even fall down. Like he gets splashed into the ring post by a guy that literally weighs 500 pounds and he just like sidesteps away and just slides back into the ring. I mean, what the hell is that? When that guy hits you in the ring post, you, you should be unconscious on the floor. You know, stuff like that always bothered me because the match was probably booked to end soon. So he had to get back in the ring. But you can't do that spot and have like a complete no-sell off of it. The finish is atrocious. Um, you know, Mabel's making it like Jarrett's about to flip him over. He doesn't even have his, his hands on his ankles. Like he, he loses the grip as Mabel's going like, whoa, I'm falling, you know, like that. And then Mabel gets beat because he tries to sit down on Jarrett and misses. So apparently, you know, like just dropping your, your oversized rear end on the canvas is enough to get you pinned by a guy that's, you know, a third your size. Uh, the match made no sense. The match sucked. Uh, the finish was awful. There's literally absolutely nothing positive I have to say about any of this. I have a question for both of you, and I would be I would be very interested in hearing either of your answers on this. Did either of you get the lyrics to what Oscar was singing? No. No, I no. wish I did. I no. wish I did. Because I have uh, absolutely no idea what he was trying to get the crowd to do, and I don't think the crowd really understood what Oscar was trying to get them to do. They kept on zooming in on all of these people, namely the people that were trying to be quote unquote cool parents by getting up and dancing to rap music along with their six and seven year old kids who look befuddled at the whole thing. Just saying, if that's your idea of trying to get somebody over, chances are the gimmick doesn't work. So Jarrett in this match is not the Jeff Jarrett we have seen. In some of our prior podcasts, he comes across as a very good worker capable of having very good matches. And we've seen him have very good matches with a number of different guys. He had a match with Shawn Michaels at one of the first In Your House events. I believe it was uh, in Nashville, I think. Maybe I'm wrong on that. But it was a yep, four no. and a half, five-star match. Very good. Good stuff. The guy could work. Problem is, here... Well, I don't blame Jarrett for all of it, he put a postage stamp on this and just mailed it in. There He's got that a, face, you know, that they, yeah. they talk about that, like that face that people, when they just have, they're in a bad spot. It's almost a face that he's going to lose. It's just, he just goes so through the motions here. They just seem like they want to get in and get out. And it just, I agree with Darren, Andrew. I didn't like anything about this. And it's, it stinks because when you have, you know, a couple spots like this on a show It really brings down a show that has some decent matches This is definitely not one of them Yup, and the worst part about this is Even though you could see Mabel was not in any way, shape, or form Anything above a lower mid-card attraction WWF was so desperate for main event heels in the mid-90s that King Mabel became a thing and was put into programs 
with the WWF champion. Well, yeah, think about who Undertaker was fed in a lot of these, you know, that we've talked about. Or even Brett's got to deal with, you know, Bob Backlund coming back and turned. He's dealing with Jerry Lawler. He's dealing with Isaac Yankum, DDS, Kane before he's Kane. you, You hit it, Andrew. There was no... Especially when Diesel's your baby face for a little while there. There's not a heel. No, there is not. And looking at this show, you have Mabel in a big spot. You have Brian Lee as the fake Undertaker in a big spot. Randy Savage is right there! Blows my mind. Blows my mind. Yeah, that, this was this was a down spot. Um, we can now move on. Vince gets Thank on the mic. Yeah, Vince gets on the mic and he talks about the mystery of the Undertaker and Leslie Nielsen can't find Taker. He's hot on the case. What'd you guys think, uh, DZ? We'll start with you. What'd you What'd you think about this whole Leslie Nielsen naked gun stuff? Um, you know, leading up to uh, SummerSlam. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, anything Leslie Leslie Nielsen naked gun wise is funny. So um, to be honest with you, in, in watching this, it actually. It actually sparked in me to go back and rewatch Naked Gun. Um, so, which we nice. kind of did. Yeah. I remembered how funny that stuff was. It was fine. I, I enjoyed it as a kid. I mean, you know, I'm sure adults might have looked at it as, you know, it being a little bit stupid. But, no, I, I didn't think anything badly of it. I, I, thought it, I thought it was funny enough. And, you know, I mean, the silhouette of The Undertaker appearing in the thing and stuff. And, you know, them being out there putting on that whole Naked Gun persona. Yeah, I, I didn't take any issue to it. Hey, look, it's Enrico Palazzo. (laughs) Sorry, had to. Um, I could take or leave this. I understood why it was there. 25 years later, does it come off a little bit dated? Yeah, but you do understand why they did it. I mean, Leslie Nielsen, cinematic legend. The guy could make a whole lot of different things funny. I get what they were going for. It didn't really hit home with me. But, you know, of all the things that they could have done in the mid-90s, I, this was fine. So we get the build up now for Brett versus Owen. So this was the point in the show where we've got the two main event matches left, and it would it just seemed weird. They they were dead set on having that Undertaker versus Undertaker match last, and it it, it seemed to make so much more sense that they could have just had that match first, then built the cage for the for the final match instead of building the cage. Taking this time and then having to take the cage apart for the it it just seems so weird. They were so dead set on having that Undertaker Undertaker match, even though this Brett Owen match was going to be great. We all knew it was going to be great. I don't know about Andrew. Me and Darren might have to uh, you know punch him or something. Who knows? We'll see. But uh, <laughs> we we get we get this build Gino, up. On that, on that point, Gino. Um, so from ninety two through ninety five into ninety six. Who's the biggest name from from late '92? I should say. Who's the biggest name in the WWF? It's 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 Bret Hart for sure. Bret. Yeah. Okay. Bret Hart wins the title in the main event at WrestleMania 10. He's got three title defenses at the subsequent pay per views. Not one of them is in the main event position of the pay per view. It just means middle in the middle of the card of the King Ring, just just randomly right in the middle of the card. This one goes in front of Undertaker where, like you said, you're building a cage. I mean, this this match is going to be 32 minutes long. Why is it not the last match? It makes no sense. 
And then at Survivor Series, the match against Backlund is in the middle of the card. So the face of your company, the guy that is the face of your, quote, new generation, he's got a title run for, you know, seven months here, and not a single title match is in a main event position of a pay-per-view. That's, that's amazing to me. It's like that CM Punk run, you know, that, that he yeah. had uh, a few years ago where he's the title. He's got, and he's got, he's having really good matches all along, but they keep, you know, putting him in weird feuds. And, and Brett was always doing the greatest job, even when he was stuck in, in some weird spots. He ends up losing the belt to Backlund, you know, not long after this, which just seemed really weird and out of place. So, yeah, again, a guy who was the, the workhorse for them, but didn't always get treated that way. So. We get th- this was a what I love about this storyline and and this feud. We get to build up all the way back to Survivor Series '93 and that heart tag match. Owen was uh, was pissed off after that because he got eliminated. He wanted to fight Brett. They end up reconciling, and Brett wouldn't fight Owen. And they have a '94 Rumble tag team title match with Owen. Brett gets hurt, and then Owen turns on him after the match when they end up losing by a by countout. And then Brett co-wins the Rumble later on that night. Brett, and then at WrestleMania 10, Owen beats Brett to open the night. Brett wins the title later that night. Everything they did with these guys was really good. And it did make Owen, every time Owen was in the ring with Brett, he never seemed like he was overmatched. He felt like he was, you know, the little brother, but he felt pretty close to on Brett's level for the most part. Uh, he Owen wins the King of the Ring 94. Then Jim the Anvil Nyhart, Brett's old tag team partner, turns on him and he sides with Owen, who is now the King of Hearts. So we get the steel cage. Uh, what, what I like about this too, there was a promo that Owen cut inside the the cage in the in the dark. I thought was really good. Owen wasn't always the greatest at promos. It was kind of just cool to have him in that setting. Nyhart was behind him, and Brett. We see uh, one of his promos where he's calling it the Summer Slam, and he talks about um, you know Owen being a kid. And this is all while, while they build the cage around the ring. It's the big blue cage. I love the cage. I love the old big blue cage. It's it really, a great cage. It is. It's fantastic. I love it. And uh, they interview the Hart parents, Stu and Helen. The whole family is in the section right at ringside, right next to the aisle. So they're right in the front. The front four or five rows are all the Hart family. The British Bulldog's there. Jerry the King asks Bulldog about Brett. And Davey says he would not want to. Um, go against Brett tonight He's in the best shape of his life They talked to Nyhart who said that Owen's going to win He is the best heart And then Bruce Hart talks for a little bit Before we get backstage to a Brett promo And I gotta say again um, You know we've seen a lot of these Brett promos And some of them are misses You know the ones at the King of the Wing 93 I think he didn't sound that great I like this promo a lot With Brett backstage He has strep throat they mention it And he says that's ah, no big deal I thought this was good, close to being great. He says he's going into this match with one thing in his mind to prove he's better than Owen. He doesn't hate Owen. He never did. And he said the problem with you, Owen, is you. It's in your head. It's in your heart. He talks about hating Nyhart because he thinks Nyhart was the one that planted the seeds of jealousy in Owen's head. And in this, in this match, they're like caged animals. He's not proud of it, but it has to stop here. The family all has to see it end. Darren, you know, we, we got for this story. Why I love it and it adds a little bit to it Is obviously everything with the family And the build up which was great They had some really fun stuff back and forth through the year I thought this was a really good promo from Brett here too Yeah I, I thought that this was a great promo I thought it, I thought it told the story very well uh, Even Brett's facial expressions It looks like he's kind of going through anguish With everything uh, So I think I think it's all extremely well done the, I, I do have one issue That I will raise uh, with the entire story that I never really understood. 
I like the stuff that Anvil does. I think he adds an interesting dynamic to all of it because he's so crazy and so out there and unpredictable and, and, and his character is so, you know, kind of over the top and flamboyantly wild. And, and that's all fine. My question is, why does Anvil have a problem with Brett? Yeah, what did Brett do? Why does he turn on him? We never really get that. Yeah, this is the guy who you had a, a historic tag team run with. You're known as one of the greatest tag teams of all time. Um, you know, we all know he got hurt before they broke up the tag team. You know, I the whole the whole story is he comes back, it looks like he's in Brett's corner. You know, he beats up Diesel in order to save the title so that Brett could lose it to Owen. And he's in Owen, like, like what? I don't understand why that story took place. I don't get why Anvil has a beef with Brett at this point. That's my only flaw with the story. I get they wanted to get Anvil in there. They, you know, he's a great heel. That's all fine. I just don't understand how they connected the dots from one to the other. Yeah, that was one of my notes as well. It's a great story. I love the way that they did this. They clearly needed to buy time, and they did a nice job with that. Jerry Lawler going after Stu and Helen Hart is always so much fun. We get to see the British Bulldog at ringside. He was back in the WWF after being gone for two years. Remember, he got fired with the Ultimate Warrior when they got HGH. And Bulldog looks like he has not quit the HGH. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, he had Dude his run in looks, WCW, right? And where he yeah. had some stuff with Vader and Sting, and he was involved in some of that that stuff. Yeah. He looks freaking massive here, and it sticks out like a sore thumb. Uh, you get Jim the Anvil Neidhart, who, despite his differences with the Hart family, is sitting with them, even though he's the only guy that's really pulling for Owen. That didn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense. And, of course, we have to talk about Jim Neidhart and his obsession with Zubaz pants. I'm just saying, it's 1994. <laughs> weird decisions were made. So Fink explains the rules. This is the cage match where the only way to win is to exit the cage. And I think if, if people don't think this match is an all-time great or a classic, it might be for that reason because the we've seen some of these cage matches where the only way to is, is to win is to escape. I personally... I like that rule in a cage match because I feel like the pinfalls and submission in a cage, we can see that in other matches. I, I think the cool part of the cage is having to escape the cage, especially in an age where we have these hell in the cell matches that keep you in and are, are basically what a cage match would be. Have, have a cage match like this. And that's what these guys do. They tell a story around trying to escape the cage. Unlike any we've ever seen in this type of match And I think they do as well of a job Telling that story as they possibly could We get big boost for Owen to start Big cheers for Brett And Owen immediately attacks Brett before Brett's all the way in the ring Owen is super aggressive Brett gains the advantage He tries to climb out First time of many that they're trying to climb out And playing cat and mouse That's what this is all about Who can get out of the ring first both feet have to hit the ground in order to win this match Owen uh, catches him And then Owen goes to escape He gets caught on top Brett suplexes Owen from the top rope And then hits a nice looking bulldog Brett then crawls to the door And Owen takes uh, Owen and Brett take turns diving for the door And they pull each other back a few times I, I like that spot I thought Owen, we see a few different times Where he has to leap after Brett Either across the ring or to- towards the cage And he, he shows he's got some hops He really sells those jumps They... 
you know, and they're really working this match around the rules. Both men on the top rope, on the top turnbuckle. Owen pushes Brett off, and then he kicks him down, and then he hits an awesome two-footed drop kick, and then a, a nip up by Owen. Uh, Owen jumps on the cage, and then quickly tries to scale it and get over the top, but Brett pulls him back, and and Brett's then straddling the cage on top. And both men, they're on the top ropes, they're battling. Owen pulls Brett back in. These. You know, my next note was two guys that couldn't tell a better story about trying to escape this cage. They, uh, you know, they're just back and forth and quick, not a lot of downtime. Brett is uh, trying to climb out. Owen pulls Brett back in, and then Brett falls on the ropes pretty hard. That was a good spot. Brett misses an elbow off the top rope. Both men are down, and Owen climbs over one leg on each side of the cage. Then he's completely on the other side. And Brett grabs him by the hair, tosses him back, um, and then he suplexes him off the top ropes. Both men are down. Then we get back to the top rope. Owen knocks Brett off the top. Owen cannot maintain his balance. He gets crotched on the ropes. Brett crawls for the door, and he's halfway out, but Owen holds on to his legs. I mean, this is a 30-plus minute match where they're going back and forth. Um, Brett ducks at one point when Owen is pushing him from behind, and then Owen goes headfirst into the cage. Brett Hits his knee in the cage so they're both down again For a while And I mean It's just back and forth where each man's climbing Owen gets over to the corner Over to the top and uh, Of the cage and Brett stops And he hits a superplex Off the top of the cage which is a great spot With Brett standing on the top turnbuckle We get shots of the Hart family all night The parents, the brothers, Bulldog, the wife The anvil and we're getting some cool overhead shots that we don't normally see either. Some some high shots, although one of them, they completely miss a move. Something happens in the ring. The crowd goes crazy. We can't tell what it is. But I do like when they try things a little bit different there. Um, Brett, again, is crawling for the door. But Owen gets him, and he locks in a beautiful-looking sharpshooter. This thing was damn good-looking. And then Brett, I, I love this spot. Brett grabs Owen's ankle, and he reverses it. Really cool spot. Brett climbs, and he gets halfway down. Uh, but Owen leaps to just get Brett by the hair again This wouldn't be a problem for the three of us short-haired people We would have been fine in this match There were so many hair spots that you know we, They, they just, just cut their hair before this match It would have been one easier way to get out of the, uh, the cage Owen climbs And now both men are on the outside of the cage battling And this was a cool spot I like the way it ended Owen's leg kind of slips through one of the holes in the cage His legs get hooked in the cage And then Brett can just drop on down Owen's stuck, he's hung up It looks scary, you're hoping he doesn't get His knee blown out or something But he does a really good job selling that And then the anvil The the post-match stuff we'll talk about in a minute But let's go through the match here first Because this was a long one And I I talked a lot about it Because Darren, this is one of my favorite matches I I like this You put this match next to the match at Wrestlemania and that's what I like about it It just is so different It's telling you a different story Because the cage is such a big part of this match And how they're using it to escape I just think these guys had such great chemistry together Obviously they're brothers They've worked together millions of times But this was a great year for uh, for Owen and Brett And a really good little run for the two of them Yeah um, Two, you know, between this and the WrestleMania match Two distinctly different styles of match but two tremendous matches, uh, despite the fact that they could not be more different in, in, in how the match basically goes. One is a, you know, a match of who's the better technical wrestler, and it's great technical wrestling spot after great 
technical wrestling spot with a little bit of hostility thrown in. This is a brawl with trying to be the first guy out of the cage and being smart while simultaneously getting in ridiculous wrestling spots. Um, you know, the, the Owen missile drop kick off the, off the top was a thing of beauty. Um, I love the stuff with the door. The diving at the door was, was just back and forth was great. There were multiple spots where you really believed for a second that Owen was about to win the match. It was, you know, whether it was going over the top or going through the door, uh, it was believable. You know, you talked about the Owen sharpshooter. Um, and I said it before, and some people have said it's blasphemous. But for my money, Owen Hart has the best looking truck. It's good, man. It is good. It's it is a good looking truck. It's back. It's tight. Yep. He makes the yep. facials. He makes everything. He tucks the leg under his arm too. Yep. It's like a little thing where he like tucks the ankle. So then he kind of tweaks the ankle even a little bit more there. It's just great. Yeah, because the Owen the Owen sharpshooter for 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 some reason. It's like the opponent's legs, they almost look farther out, and, and you kind of get more of an arch in the back. It's, it's hard to explain, but he s- just sits down. He's, his legs are always spread out farther. It's just, it's just a sweet-looking move. Um, the Brett superplex off the top was ridiculous. I mean, Owen was not – you know, the, the superplex, when, when you do that move, you know, you, it's not just the guy who's performing it. You need help from the guy – Who's getting suplexed? Owen was in a spot where he was just hanging on the top of the cage. He wasn't standing. He wasn't supporting Brett in any way. And you see Brett has to like bop up and down three or four times to get the leverage to get him up. And getting a guy up from that spot where he was kind of half on the other side of the cage and and not in any way, shape, or form really helping the move. That was a sick spot. Um, Yeah, I mean... The, the, the spot where they both, you know, they're both up on the rope trying to go off the top and, and Owen punches Brett and they both fall backwards, like in almost in sync going back landing. I mean, it was and I remember watching this match as a kid being a huge Brett guy. And I and through this match, I was genuinely concerned that I thought that there was a chance that Owen was going to win. Um, I thought, you know, Anvil might get involved. I mm-hmm. thought Owen was going to find a way to sneak out the door. You know, because in a cage would... he doesn't get pinned, and he's already pinned him before. Yeah. It's easy to 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 say, oh, Owen didn't even, you know, Brett didn't even get pinned and lost the title, you know, something like that. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I so there were and there were a lot of believable parts of this match that could have led me there. The only gripe I have, and it has nothing to do with Brett knowing, it, it was with the steel cage match in general. I hated. Now it worked in this match because the the door spots were really really good. Probably the best door spots you've ever had. In, in a cage match where they're pulling the guy and diving over the top and pulling the guy. I thought that was great. But it's just from the mental aspect of why in the world would you ever climb out of the top of a cage if you could just go out the door? Like it, like that part of this yeah. cage always bought, and it has nothing to do with this match. Because, again, best door stuff I've ever seen in the cage match. But, you know, in some of the spots where Brett is trying to go out over the top – Instead of going after Brett to pull him back in, why don't you just walk out the door? <laughs> you know, like it's going to take you less time to go out the door than the other guy to climb over the top. That's not a Brett Nolan problem. It's a, just a problem with this match in general. Um, but even down, I mean, the finish. You know, you know, you, you're having you're having a heart attack at, on the, and, and you see as they're out there where people start to realize that this is going to be in. Everybody yep. starts to stand up. 
yeah. you know, they're like, they're like, oh, man, and Owen like gets stuck, and everyone's like, oh shit, jump, Brett, jump. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I thought it was all great. Um, yeah, for my money, one of my favorite matches of all time. Again, my only problem with the storyline was I never understood Nightheart's problem, but other than that, you know, phenomenal match, five stars, top to bottom. Okay, friends. Are we all in a good, solid mental state where we can all feel comfortable <laughs> listening? Okay. I can't, I can't wait to hear this. Okay. It's not as bad as you guys think. I just enjoy pushing your buttons. So, <laughs> okay. first of all, since I haven't heard it mentioned yet, the one line that I loved from Brett's interview backstage before this is, I don't hate you. I just feel sorry mm-hmm. for you. Mm-hmm. And yes, the Canadian sorry, sorry. was intentional. I'm just saying that's <laughs> it's a great little you know play on words there for our Canadian friends up there. So this match starting Owen comes out, crowd hates him. I don't know if you guys saw this. He climbs the cage, comes down to the turnbuckle, jumping off the turnbuckles down to the mat. Mm-hmm. He almost face plants. He has <laughs> to catch himself. And I thought that was a pretty cool moment because he knows his family's there. He knows his father is watching, Stu Hart, who was already a statue at that point. There was pigeon crap on his shoulder. But Owen does that. Brett comes out. Owen jumps him before the bell. Off we go. Darren mentioned it. The door stuff is fantastic. I loved a whole bunch of the spots that they did. I love all the ways in which they stopped each other from going out the door. That's creative. That's fantastic. Vince has a line talking about just like when they were kids. Oh, they had a 15-foot cage in their backyard at our house. <laughs> you know this for sure? I mean, they had a wrestling bear underneath the deck. Nothing would surprise me. But it, it just brings to mind a whole bunch of images that, that I don't want. The crowd is rabid every time Owen tries to escape. And they're going nuts as if to try to wake Brett up. And it kind of sounds like they're cheering but it's not. It's a desperation thing where they're going, come on, Brett, come on, Brett, come on, Brett. And that was really cool. There's a lot that I like about this match. It is a very, very, very good match. I can't call it a great match, guys. I can't do it. And here's why. It's not the fault of Brett or Owen. Darren, you hinted at this, and I'm going to expound. If you're going to climb the cage and use that as a finish, fine. I get that. I hate the slow climb and the sprint off the mat thing. I understand there's going to be suspension of disbelief in professional wrestling. Type thing, you know? Yes. I hate that. These two guys are better than that. And they have to do that. Brett in particular is laying down on the mat and he's dead. Owen gets up near the top and he does this John Cena no-sell kind of thing where he sprints up off the mat and in a second and a half, he's up at the top of the cage. Like the Kurt Angle run up the the suplex type thing. Yeah. That's fine if it's a one-time adrenaline rush kind of thing. You can't do it all the time, man. I just, that hurt the match for me. The other thing that hurt it, and I understand this is sacrilege, because we can watch Brett and Owen for a really long time and generally speaking, be okay with it. 32 minutes is a really long time in an escape cage match. Give me 20 minutes and I'm good. 
32 minutes. It's you, a little long. What hurt was that there were a lot of spots that were repetitive. Yeah, I think that I think that's what hurt because they they had a time to fill, and I I agree with you. I don't think five minutes, maybe less, would have hurt the match. There were a lot of times where it was the same sort of thing. Once they were one guy's up to the top, one or two legs over, they get pulled back by the hair because, like you said, they're a little bit handcuffed by the gimmick. It's like a, it's like when you have a gimmick, you know, a gimmick match that you have to follow the rules of. They were so in that. I think I gave them more credit. Knowing that it wasn't them And I thought they did a damn good job of trying To make it as Creative, as interesting Still giving you some pretty good technical stuff here and there And as we all have mentioned The stuff jumping out the door was great The leaping yeah. back and forth the, the hanging, the grasping on all that So go ahead Andrew, finish up Yeah, I and again, I understand I probably had both of you guys saying Oh no, he's going to say he hated this match And we're going to jump down his throat No about two-thirds of that was me pushing your buttons, and it worked to perfection. I love doing that. <laughs> but this was a very good match. I just can't call it a great match. I'm happy I was able to rewatch it. It's a fun match. I just think the WrestleMania match blows it out of the water. Interesting. Well, let me, let me ask you this. Within the gimmick of this style of cage, not, not Hell in a Cell cage, the, the open, you know, open top cage, have you seen a better cage match in, in this particular cage setting? I'd have to go back. I would really have to go back. There were a couple of decent ones that I can remember. With this Hogan is, and Orndorff. Yeah, that was there, was, there was actually another really good one, and it was the match that Batista and Chris Jericho got a lot of heat over because Batista wanted blood, and that was against WWE rules. And Vince wound up fining everyone involved about $120,000, and Batista paid all the fines. That would probably be the one that I would put that up against, because I thought that was a great cage match. In that era, though, this is probably the best one. And I'll echo something that Gino said, and I'll expound on it a little bit from a television production standpoint. The way they set that cage up, with the blocks and the skinny bars and whatnot, if you're watching this match, it's an easy watch from a visual standpoint. Mm -hmm. If yep. you look at a lot of the Hell in the Cell matches or even other cage matches that WWE has put on over the last five or ten years... With the fencing type cage. Yes, mm -hmm. it's a horrible watch. And then you get cameras inside the cage that are trying to take you in. And Kevin Dunn cutting every two or three seconds just because he can. It's not a great experience as a fan. This one, though, less is more. I love that style cage. I wish they would go back to it. I understand it looks a little blocky and hokey and old school. But in this case, I think less is more. And I think that really contributed to my enjoyment of this match because I didn't have to wonder what the heck was going on. I didn't have to sit through some director in the back trying to go from camera 61 to camera 62. It's a very good match. I enjoyed watching it. There's, just, there's a couple of nagging things. I can't put it in that great category. I just can't do it. So we get the post-match stuff now where the anvil nails the British Bulldog from behind. They're in the first few rows. And the Bulldog and Diana, his wife, Brett, and Owen's sister... They go, and, and Anvil's sister-in-law, they all go flying over the guardrail. Diana 
you know, she takes the bump pretty well. She is close to nailing her head on the railing when she flips flips back over. I don't think she quite hits it, but it is it's damn close. So then then Anvil attacks, and um, and him and Owen go to work on Brett. They get in the cage, they chain the door, and they bring Brett back into the cage. And then the Hart family is all trying to climb in. Pretty cool as all the Hart brothers and Bulldog are trying to climb in. And Owen and Anvil are knocking them off the uh, off the cage and back to the floor. And so Bulldog tries to get in uh, a couple different times, and he ends up the third time try, trying to get back up. He ends up getting in. So he gets to the top. He knocks Owen back in the ring. He climbs in. The other hearts start to climb in. Anvil and Owen climb out as the other hearts check on Brett. And then backstage, we get Owen screaming at Todd. I mean, I don't like all the story. I, there, there's very little about this that I don't like. Uh, Darren, we've seen when when they want to tell good stories. Again, we said maybe we could have heard a little bit more from Anvil. Was there a moment where Brett slighted him? Was there something? Give me give me a little bit more from Anvil. Why he's so dead set on being being with Owen and hating Brett here? That might be one of the blip. But I but I like I like everything about this. I like the lead up, the build up before. I like the stuff afterwards, and I really 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 like the match. So this to me. It was the reason why I picked SummerSlam 94 Remembering this match And I'm glad I, could, I did Because I liked re-watching it And I was pleasantly surprised With a couple other matches on the show One of them is not the, the match We'll be talking about after this But Darren and then uh, Andrew What about all the post stuff there And um, and I guess we can even get into the post stuff And then the, the, the footage and the build up stuff For Undertaker versus Undertaker Yeah, I, you know, with the post stuff um, Yeah, I mean, keep, keeps the storyline going Brings Bulldog in you know, obviously, this is a story that's going to continue through the fall. Um, you know, they obviously they bring in Backlund and, and do that whole thing. Which, by the way, one of the worst nights of my childhood was the night that Bret Hart lost to Bob Backlund. That's yeah, funny. I remember I crying mean, just in tears. I, I was, I was literally like, I remember watching with my dad, and and we were like, "Are you kidding me? Like Bob Backlund? Are you are you kidding me?" And and obviously they they ended up you know making with. It's funny because three nights later we were at the house show when Diesel beat him at Madison Square Garden, um, and it was very satisfying because I hated Bob Backlund because of that night. But uh, yeah, beside but look the the post match stuff I thought was cool. You know, trying to get into the cage, fighting the people off. You know, Brett obviously selling the beating and everything. I, I mean, it, it was just a real really good story. And like you said, when they wanted to come up with cool stuff, um, yeah, they did a good job with it. The only thing I could have used was. Even if Neidhart in a promo somewhere said, you know, Brett, I, deep down, I always resented the fact that, you know, my career ended and you became a superstar. I was the anything, guy. Anything. Yeah, I was like the that. guy that cleared the Hart Foundation. I was the guy that was the main, whatever, you know, something, you know, give me a reason why. And it, and it just, that part of it never made sense to me. Not everything is, you know, look, nothing is ever perfect. You can always find little holes and that's probably the hole in this story but it, it was a very long match you had a long post match i could see andrew's point but for me personally i could watch owen and brett fight all day long so i don't i never want to shave time off of that that's just my personal opinion going to the post match stuff uh i wasn't quite sure what to make of the owen neidhart post match interview um, much as I asked for a transcript of Oscar from earlier, I'm going to ask for a transcript of Jim the Anvil Neidhart. screaming. And yeah. he's saying nothing. 
He makes no sense. He's talking in gibberish. And I understand some of his character as being the unhinged guy in the extended heart family. But this was rough because, it, you know, the guy had just come back. The guy was about to take the side of Owen in a blood feud. No. And then Owen talks about celebrating his victory. Um, dude, dude, your brother just beat you in a cage match that's supposed to be the blow off. You're not supposed to be happy. Just putting that out there. Just saying. I don't know if titles matter to you, Owen, but that was really silly. So then we go from that to, oh, <laughs> my God. Now, here's the thing, and I'm going to preface this, and then I'll, I'll hand it off. The thing about some of the shows that we watch, if something is bad, they know it is bad, and it is done quickly. There was nothing quick about this. They had to run the storyline recap video because they were taking the cage down. Fine. Gino, did you clock how long the entrances went in this match? So it went from from when they they threw to the packages to when the guys came in the ring and actually locked up. It was a total of 17 minutes. Yep, 17 minutes. Wow. Just wow. And that just kills right after a, a good match. The crowd was into a hot angle. And then you get guys taking the cage down, which always seems best to have the cage taken down after after the do show. Do it last. Do just it do last. it last. It doesn't have to be part of the show, taking the cage down. It's nothing. I just, yeah, that, that really frustrates me. And like I said, I don't, I don't mind this storyline. The Undertaker was hurt. He went away from the Royal Rumble till here. This is one of the bigger chunks that he missed, it really ever. Uh, you know, till till he started, you know, being more of a part timer. And he wasn't at WrestleMania, but he was still selling the, you know, the casket. Paul Bear couldn't fit, find the Undertaker. I even don't mind. Ted DiBiase says he found the Undertaker. I brought him in. I found him. I'm going to bring him back. And so he brings this new. This this Undertaker, who he's saying is the Undertaker, we can all tell it's it's not the Undertaker, especially once he gets in the ring. But but as a kid, you're going, I mean, that kind of looks like him. His hair's down. They don't really show his face a lot. He he moves a little differently. Maybe something's you're like you know you're at least questioning it when you see him show up a few times at the beginning. I don't mind the storyline. It's just the the person that they they pegged out who did a good job of looking as close to a mirror image of Undertaker as you could imagine. The guy just can't go at all He just cannot go at all he, I, I said this earlier in the show he, There's just basic Clotheslines that he can't even Sell He backs up into the ropes He, he there's a, they're, they're doing a stun gun maneuver that he botches And I just You know we get a cool Undertaker entrance too um, as, But as Andrew Engine everything's really slow the, the real Undertaker Has the purple gloves and it is the fake Undertaker with Lee with uh, the the gray gloves. So first out, Paul Bear comes with the urn, the massive urn, and then out comes the spirit of the Undertaker. It is just so, so bad, and it is plotting. And we get a fake Taker choke slam, and then the real Taker sits up, and then we get a fake Taker tombstone. The real Undertaker sits up, 
And then the fake taker goes for another tombstone, but Undertaker reverses it. He hits a couple of his own, two, then a third one for the W. And I recapped it quickly, but the match didn't go quickly. This thing goes around nine minutes, and it's just too long. It's unnecessary. We could have gotten a real Undertaker beatdown in five minutes, squash the fake Undertaker guy that he brought in. If this guy isn't a real Undertaker, why is he able to go toe-to-toe with the actual Undertaker for so much? Give me a squash, you know, but it was a main event program they're setting up here. I think they didn't want it to go that short. Uh, I just, I forget. And you, you, you laugh about it because... We know The Undertaker had bigger and better things down the line in his career and one of the greater careers ever. But the poor guy had a bad couple years of, of, of dance partners, so to say. And I, this is, and then what ends up happening, this match ends up bringing down the quality of the show overall because it leaves a bad taste in your mouth. If this is in the middle of the show and they end with the Brett Owen stuff... It's fine. Give me, give me this in the middle, and then even the the women that I the I see like the three title matches. If they the way they book this show, if it was moved around a little bit to make the end of the show stronger, as Andrew mentioned, than the beginning, which which was was good in spots, just awful here, Darren. Poor Undertaker having to deal with this. Uh, n- n- what did what does Meltzer give this match? Oh, it was bad. I, I, you know what? I, I have to go. I have it written down. I have to pull it up. But yeah, because I, I, I mean, I'll give it to you in a second. But yeah, um, I'll tell you, I'll tell you this much. So, um, I'm going to use a word that I don't use lightly, especially in modern times, because of a lot of things that go on in the world. But from the standpoint of being a wrestling fan, um. This was offensive. And I mean that yeah. in a way that we're not this stupid. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I get it. The little kids can watch this. And um, yeah, you know, it could be, you know, it, it could be fun for them. Two guys that, you know, kind of look alike. Uh, oh, by the way, here it is. Negative one star. <laughs> an rating. I knew it was I, I knew it was something funny like that. It's negative one star. Um, but yeah, and, and here's why it's offensive. It's offensive because you have one of the greatest characters, and maybe at this point, I guess you could say he's not quite at that point yet, but he's still one of the staples of your company. Um, and, and and it is one of the greatest characters, if not the greatest character that has ever been construed by WWE. And he, the guy spent years and years perfecting it down to every single moment. And you take this random guy who kind of you make it look like him. And you make it out like, well, anybody could do this. You just walk slow. You know, you do everything methodically. And you do kind of these motions. And, yeah, this guy could be the undertaker. That's nonsense. That's complete nonsense. And like you said, the guy gets in the ring. He can't go at all. I mean, there's a spot where he takes a boot to the face. And it looks like he's doing the freaking Bernie Lomax dance from Weekend at Bernie. This is just <laughs> basic <laughs> stuff, too. He does. He does. Yeah. Nice drop. That's a great I'm drop. I'm sorry. That's hysterical. Yeah. <laughs> what, like, what kind of a cell is that? Where he literally just leans back and just starts shaking around, you know? I mean, every move that Taker does, he backs away from. 
He backs away from the punches before they even come close to connecting. The old school off the top rope, he's falling down before Taker even hits him. It's horrible. And the fact that they thought that this was good, that it belonged in a main event position behind a classic Owen versus Brett match. I mean, one of the offensive moves, that the move where he tried to, like, drape Taker over the top rope, you know, he almost threw him out of the ring. I mean, it was so bad. I could only imagine what Mark Calloway was thinking. All right, sure, the guy, you made his hair look like him, you made his facial hair. He couldn't even throw a punch that looked like the Undertaker. He couldn't even get that down. You know, Roman Reigns throws a punch that looks more like the Undertaker's punch than this guy did, and he's supposed to look like him. Um, yeah, I mean, brutally, awfully bad. I remember thinking that when I watched it. Uh, and, and what bothered me, and my, I remember my dad said this, because um, we used to watch these pay-per-views together all the time. The, the thing at the end of Royal Rumble where, you know, they did the whole casket thing and, you know, the smoke comes out of the casket and Undertaker levitates, you know, and he's like going up the above the the, the Titan Tron. You know, look, was it was it a, a bit of a you know goofy gimmick? Yeah, sure. But that was freaking awesome. And I remember my dad was sitting there going, this is like one of the greatest things I've ever seen. And you bring it, you bring it back, and this is what you get. Yeah. Like it's it's just it's just so horrifically bad. And in God's honest truth. From a story standpoint and a match standpoint and everything in between, it is literally one of the worst things that WWE has ever done. Yeah. Um, this was another not great match for Vince. So they do the showdown. And Brian Lee, who I sincerely hope got paid very well to be in this position for a couple of months, is two inches shorter than The Undertaker. Yeah. They do the stare down and Vince goes, it's like looking in a mirror. Yeah. Um, it, everything no. up until once they got next to each other and he got in the ring, it was awful. I didn't mind the story stuff. That's what The Undertaker was doing at this time. But as Darren mentioned, too, it, it just makes us feel like we're supposed to believe that that. Or we're supposed to believe that this It's an either or we, we are confused by this It's We're not sure who it is I mean this other guy is just abysmal Yeah um, So Vince knows Two or three minutes in That the crowd is dead He knows that he has made a gigantic mistake Putting this on last And you can tell because on commentary He says this capacity crowd In awe Because they are so quiet they're done. After Brett Owen, they're done. And then you bring out this nonsense that insults the intelligence of anyone who has any idea what they're watching. It was bad, and Gino, you nailed it. Regardless of what happened earlier on in the show, this is going to leave you with a really bad taste in your mouth afterwards because of where they put it, and it all could have been avoided had they simply put this second from the top. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it. I, I mean, and and it's a bummer because we look back at this show, and I mean, I, I I love the Brett Owen match. I thought the Razor Diesel match was very good, and I thought the women's match was really good for the time. The tag opener I didn't have a problem with at all, and you know, so when you have half of the the card on paper, that's at least okay. I'm not bothered. 
It's just a couple bad spots The Mabel double J, J stuff Everything around the Tatanka Luger I didn't love The Taker Taker as I mentioned I'm not that as down on the storyline as some others were But just the the match makes it so 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 bad and um and just another little bummer too. It's you know this is this is it for Macho Man as we mentioned one of the guys who was such a a staple of the early WWF years. So yeah, I'm, this is this is a show that I don't mind watching, especially if you can skip through some of the spots or you don't want to watch that Undertaker match or maybe you do just to laugh at it. But there's definitely a couple of spots you could skip through and 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 you don't need to. But I, I would always recommend going back and watching the Brett Owen. I think the Intercontinental title match and the women's match all worthy of uh, of watching. So, um, DZ, you will be uh, heading on uh, a trip next week. Cool, really cool for you. So you won't be joining us. It'll just be Andrew and I. So Andrew's going to pick the show for next week. Andrew, I think I might uh, reach out and see if uh, Danny K wants to pinch hit next week and come hang out with us, and maybe he'll uh, he'll be a third and recap along with us. So Darren, give us your closing thoughts on SummerSlam '94. So yeah, Brett Owen match is one of my all-time favorites. Um, you know, uh, I thought that Diesel Razor stuff was cool, kind of a foreshadowing of what was to come between their two careers. Um, yeah, I mean, th- this pay-per-view for me is, is known as the Brett Owen pay-per-view. It, it's the way that the pay-per-view should have ended. Uh, this match between the two Undertakers always leaves a bad taste in my mouth, right down to the fact that if you, when you watch the three tombstones that the fake Undertaker takes, he doesn't even know that he has to get his arm out and, like, clasp his hands behind the other Undertaker's back as he's being tombstone, where if you look, his arm is just pinned up against his side, stuck. Like, he can't even, he can't even get that. So bad. So it's bad. So bad. And, and, I can't, and that's a big part. And by the way, this is now two SummerSlams in a row that ended with complete ridiculousness, whether it's the Luger balloon drop or these, you know, the two Undertakers. Um yeah, so th- I mean, look, I remember, I remember the show two different ways. Phenomenal cage match, Brett Nolan could watch that match a million times. One of the worst gimmicks WWE has ever done. So kind of, you go literally from one end of the spectrum to the other in a matter of moments, and and that's kind of how I remember the show. The tale of two completely different main events. Okay, my first closing thought is, uh, Darren, I'm just going to say this. You couldn't just like order takeout from Red Lobster and say you're going to Maine and save yourself several hundred dollars. I'm just throwing it out there, man. Several several hundred would be would be wishful thinking. Well, I don't know what you're spending. I'm being conservative. I'm just saying, you know. It's just one of those things where here in New York City, things have been so so crazy. I want to get my kids to you know a different uh, you know change of scenery with you know you know just just see something. You know, they haven't seen before. And, uh, you know, we found what just looks like a beautiful resort. We're going up with a couple other families. Cool. Just something just something we've never done before. So I'm, I'll miss you guys next week. But I am I am looking. I'm playing two rounds of golf up there, too, Andrew. Nice. So I'll let you know how Maine golf is. Now, Maine is a good time. I've been there a couple of times. There's a lot to do there. They usually jam a lot into a very short amount of time because it's Maine and tourism season is very, very short. It's a little bit different now with everything that's been going on in the world, I would imagine. But on a serious note, hope you and the family have a great time. Great. Thank you. It's a good show. I like this show. Certain parts of it, for sure. Brett Owen cage match, very good. 
Can't call it great. Very good. Alundra Blaze, Bull Nakano, as good a women's match as you're going to see in the United States during the 1990s. They had a couple of good matches for WCW a couple of years later. They brought in Akira Hokuto as well. A lot of good stuff going on there in the same vein. The opening tag match I didn't think was bad. The IC title match I didn't think was bad. The main event, oh, oh boy. Now, I'm going to just throw this out here. Darren, part of the reason I wanted to, you know, pitch the Red Lobster idea is because I knew what show I was going to pick next. And I was really, really hoping you were going to be here for it. So Uh I I will watch it. I I promise you that. I'll send you some feedback. Well, don't say that quite yet before you know what it is. Um, (laughs) So don't promise. Gino, I've mentioned this show a couple of times in conversation. We're going to stick with the SummerSlam theme. And we're going to go to 1989. Nice. There are a couple of really good matches on that undercard. Rick Root and the Ultimate Warrior in a blow-off match for the IC title. That's a great mm-hmm. match. There's a six-man match involving the Rockers, the Rougeos, Tito Santana, Rick Martel. That's a tremendous match for the time. There's a Heart Foundation Brain Busters match that's a good match. And there's a couple of other entertaining matches. But the draw here is hate watching the main event. For those yes. of you who are uninitiated around this time, Darren, what movie was Hulk Hogan in in oh, 1989? This was good. Oh, yeah. uh, No Holds Barred. <laughs> no Holds Barred. And the villain was a man named Zeus. They bring Zeus in for a tag match with Randy Savage against Hulk Hogan and Brutus the Barber Beefcake in the main event. And oh my goodness. Now, it's not as bad as other non-wrestler matches, but Zeus is just hilariously uncoordinated for how athletic he is. He's got a a, look. He looks phenomenal, too. He looks so scary. And I remember before he got in the ring and worked, I remember in some of the beatdowns watching Hogan and him just no-selling everything and thinking, man, Hogan might not be able to... To, to, to phase this guy And then he gets in the ring And we just see him just stumble bumbling And wasn't the rumor that he was actually Slated for the Wrestlemania match At Wrestlemania 6 early on Before they ended up changing and going Face versus face with Warrior and Hogan That was the rumor I don't know how yeah. hard it was But it, the, the rumor was out there So they did this match as a callback To the film And look, it's not the worst quote-unquote celebrity match. It's not the worst non-wrestler match. I mean, you look at WCW bringing Reggie White in for a match against Steve McMichael. That's the all-time champion right there, and nothing else is coming close. Kevin Federline against John Cena would probably be up there, too. (laughs) But there's a lot to unpack with this show, a lot going on. But the reason I picked it in all seriousness, some really, really good undercard matches, and my all-time favorite heel commentator rant in the middle of the Rick Rude Ultimate Warrior match. Poor Tony Schiavone feels the brunt of one Jesse the Body Ventura. It is glorious and I can't wait to relive that next week. Cool. I was actually a big thank you to Bremont for joining us. A big thank you to Brian Aragoni for joining us to talk some Canterbury. We talked Stable Duel with Bree. We talked Old Wrestling with Andrew 
and with Darren. Thanks to the fellas for hanging out with us uh, one more time. Don't forget, folks, remember if you can support all of these sponsors, that's what G said. And, and you know, just anytime you're looking for one of the products or, uh, or you're looking for something in their field, you know, Sarah Candles, promo code Gino, 10% off your purchase. Don't forget about Stable Duel. Get involved in all of those lineups. If you have any questions at all, let me know. I will help you out. How about Thrive Fantasy? The fantasy sports contest If you use that promo code G-I-N-O You'll get a, a bonus of 20 bucks When you deposit 20 Deposit 20, you get an instant $20 bonus right back Playing all those fantasy contests there Don't forget about OldSmokeClothing.com Promo code Gino You'll get free shipping on all the horse racing swag That you want, that you need there And then one of the longtime sponsors Cindy Carava, full service realtor If you have any questions about your home About the value, if you're looking to to sell To lease anything at all Give Cindy a, a call Contact her, she is one of the nicest people You'll ever meet, she will take care of everything You need, exactly the kind of person When you're, you know, you're talking about real estate So, thanks again folks Don't forget, subscribe, rate, review Download anywhere you get your podcast That's what G said Joey Cleveland, take it away